Welcome to a football podcast. I am Christian Jack, joined as always by my co-host, the lovely, sober Stephen Caldwell. On today's live podcast, we will chat the London Derby. Tottenham's title run is over. Sorry, producer Sean, it is now over. I know you thought it was over at the start of the season. We are now finishing them off. We're going to talk about another Miguel Almiron standing ovation in the Premier League. Barcelona against Real Madrid, Toronto FC chat. Canadian Premier League chat, Algarve Cup and the Women's World Cup. And of course, the headliners, we are lucky to have Kyle Becker, Manny Aparicio, Carmelino Moscato, Jonathan Azorio, Justin Morrow, and of course, Luke Wildman, all joining us here tonight on stage here at the Rivley in downtown Toronto. We want to make sure we thank a few people here who have made this show happen. Thank you, first of all, to the Rivley, wonderful hosts again, Homestand Sports, New Balance for keeping us looking sharp on stage. There you go. Loving this hoodie talk. New Balance, thank you very much. Before we get to it, we want your questions at the end of the show. So make sure you log on to Twitter and use hashtag AskAFP. Sean will pick the best of the bunch and call you up to the show. And guess what? You get a little prize as well and get to ask your question. Pick good questions because the rest of the audience, they're going to be pretty shy. They're going to be slamming you for your questions. But be brave, be bold, and come up with some great questions. All right, let's get right into it. We were on TSN yesterday afternoon for the Premier League games. Um, we get to pick games as we usually do when we have a, a couple of games simultaneously. I obviously said you can pick your game if you like, and you picked Chelsea versus Tottenham. And in the end, it worked out to being uh, too late to say sorry for Kepper because he was on the bench. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, the game was dominated in the build up to it without being the goalkeeper. And then in the end, it was dominated on the field by Chelsea. First of all, right decision by Sarri. And second of all, an overall complete performance by Chelsea, no? Yeah, he had no choice but to leave Kep out. I think it was a message more than, you know, leaving out a 70 million goalkeeper. If, if you keep him in the team after what just happened at, at the weekend at Wembley, then it just allows anybody to, to create anarchy at any moment, KJ. And yeah. I, I thought that was it was very important. We expected it to happen just through the comments and in the press conference and, in fairness to Kepa, I, I think he had to just take that one in the chin and accept it because it was it was ludicrous what he did at the weekend. It was it was uncalled for, and something that I don't think anybody in football had seen before. Uh, uh, you know, someone refusing to come off once their mm. number came up. Yeah, and it was like one of the biggest acts of defiance you're ever going to see from a player. I mean, we covered it on the last podcast. I think, yeah. I don't think you would have got away with it if Stephen Colwell was playing for Chelsea, but <laughs> that meant Stephen Colwell would have had to play for Chelsea. So. <laughs> And that would never have happened, would it? Is that the point you're making? No, you finished it <laughs> off for me. It's fine. Well, it wouldn't have happened if I was playing because... David Luiz was doing like like this little whisper. Yeah, which was annoying me more than him being 20 yards away. He annoys you, know? you a lot, to be fair. He does, actually, because yeah. he's not a defender playing centre-half. Right. Wonderful player, great in the ball, but the first thing you have to do as a defender is defend. Everything mm -hmm. else is a bonus. And yeah. He doesn't even want to defend uh, three quarters of the time. But being one of the leaders of the team, he went over there and he should have been, I think, in the end, manhandling the man off the pitch. Yeah. You know, uh, it was a case of uh, complete defiance. He, he, he felt like he was fine to go on. It doesn't matter. Once your number goes up, we've covered this already, but once your number goes up, you leave the field, you, you talk about it after. It's you, You've got to go. And so... Um, it was Sarri's way of 
showing his authority, which he couldn't. He tried to show in the cup final, yeah. but just basically nobody gave him any kind of allowance of, to show the control. So finally, he had the control, and the manager has the control to pick the team, and he decided not to pick him. So yeah, we we move on from that, and in the end, well, we wonder how long he's going to be out now as well, because in well, the end, you can't put him back in right away, can yeah, you? Yeah, clean sheet for Chelsea. So you know, you think Willie Caballero is going to start the next game, but. On the game itself, Chelsea yeah. were, were tremendous. Um, they've went away from Sarri Ball uh, in the last two games, of course, against uh, a brilliant team in Manchester City. So I, I really understand that they are in a very, very good team in Tottenham Hotspur. But they were still pretty defensive, getting players behind the ball. But they broke really quickly. They created a number of opportunities. Their tactics were really good when Tottenham especially had the ball from goal kicks. Lloris was trying to play out as they do. The centre-halves yeah. are coming really deep right on the, the goal line and, and trying to split and it, it gave away one of their, their best chances mm -hmm. for Higuain because he passed it right to, to Pedro but um, they deserved it they were the better team Pedro had a wonderful second half um, they were really strong and of course Tottenham gave away that that horrible goal from, from Kieran Trippier who's he's having a tough time I have to say he's a guy who he's a bit like VAR really because he had a great <laughs> World Cup and it's been a shock it's has gone downhill since then <laughs> Yeah, he's a guy who's been on a, an unbelievable trajectory from, you know, uh, not making it a city and then Burnley. And, and Two million pounds from Burnley, that's how much he cost. Exactly, so. and it was a brilliant signing. And then, you know, he gets to Tottenham and we're wondering if he's going to play and he forces himself into the team. He's playing for England at a World Cup. He scores a goal in a World Cup semi-final. And, yeah. um, no disrespect to the guy, but maybe he's career peaked at that point. I think it's fair to say nothing's going to get bigger than when he put that free kick into the back of the net no. against Croatia. And and he's having a tough time. And I, I have to say, in my opinion, if Tottenham Hotspur are, are really going to challenge, if they keep Pochettino or whoever comes in, as they look at their squad in the summer, one of the guys or one of the positions they need to replace uh, is right back. Right back, goalkeeper, and left back, and and so when you see the right back uh, in Trippier on the day, and and Hugo Lloris getting into that situation. By the way, it wasn't all Trippier's fault. It was, where was Lloris going? Yeah, we if you covered that. Yeah, we we know that you know if you make a decision as a a goalkeeper, or central defender, anywhere back there where it's absolutely critical that you commit to what you're doing, then you have to come, you have to commit, and you have to get that that ball up the field. But he came half-hearted and he sort of stopped and. And Trippier, again, if you make a decision as a defender, you don't go in between. You should just kick that in the rose head up the field, then have an argument with your goalkeeper, but it was neither nor, and it was back into the net. Well, he, he was at fault for the first goal too, Lloris, I thought, didn't you, at that point? I mean, he should save that, Yeah, no? Yeah, he should save that. I, I mean, I, certainly like make it a little bit more of an effort than getting beat at your near post. Well, a top keeper saves it, doesn't I think he? So. I, I, well, I we're going to so. get into some top keepers in a minute. It's but. hard to criticise him so much for it, because Pedro was a defending to get in there, and... Uh, it was Alderville, wasn't it? Was, it? Who, yeah. Yeah. who let himself down. Normally he's better than that. He, he, I think he's had a great season, but he comes over and Pedro comes inside. So you can't blame the keeper at, at, at that moment, but a top keeper saves it. And they're the moments that the world's best, the 10, 15 best goalkeepers in the world make count. Yeah, I agree. And Lurice didn't. 
I agree. Uh, we've covered Chelsea a lot. Um, I mean, they're almost the ultimate boom and bust team in world football. You know, one week they look marvellous and the next week you just go, wow, how do they look, look like that? You know, I will say, I think Hazard's been absolutely magnificent this season. Again, you know, he's carrying the team in some games and I thought, you know, again, he sets the tone for them. I do want to talk briefly about Spurs before we move on to our next game. And I think this is a good thing for them and hear me out because I think they were never going to win the league anyway. This is clearly a Premier League that's going to be won by a team that gets in advance of 90 points, which is again, uh, you know, unprecedented time. I mean, Man City got a hundred last year. That was a, we imagined that it was once in a lifetime kind of team. And here we are again, Chelsea got to 90 with, you know, Conte. And now we're going to have another elite team get to 90 for reference. Leicester won the Premier League with 80. You know, so, so it's like a massive difference in quality to win that league. My point being Tottenham are going to make the Champions League for next year. They're in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. We believe they won 3-0 at home in the at Dortmund. They were never going to win the league anyway. And this is now the evaluation process for any football club to evaluate your talent better than anybody else to say, okay, in the games that matter the most, who who is not making that level for us to get to the next step? You know, So that could be, a, a, I think, a positive. The only thing I would say to counteract that and see what you think is that you don't want to start planting the seeds of doubt in Kane and Ericsson and think, all right, this is time for me to, to move here because it's the, it's the Arsenal problem with Wenger after a number of years when they weren't spending the money they moved into the stadium that players in the end want to win trophies. Yeah. You know, they want to get paid, but you want to win trophies. That's what, you know, we've been in the game a long time and Van Persie and Nasri and Adebayor and Sanya and Clichy and many others in the end just looked at Arsenal and said, I can get more money somewhere else and I think I can win trophies. And that would be the biggest concern for Spurs is, you don't want to plant those seeds of doubts. But if you can turn this into a positive, I do think that the areas that you mentioned, even in central midfield, they've got to look at those areas and go, how can we go next, particularly if we keep Pochettino? It's a great point because the seeds of doubt are in a lot of Tottenham players right now, I'm thinking. You think, yeah. Yes, and we could go through every single separate one. Harry Kane, Alderweireld, uh, Ali. We could go on about them all. Uh, Pochettino, the manager himself, the, the seeds of doubt are there. And so the interesting thing for me is what's the ownership going to do? You know, Daniel Levy and moving into this tremendous new stadium, are they going to give Pochettino the, the money to go and really spend to compete with the cities and the Liverpool, spend that kind of money, go and get a right back for 50, 60 million pounds? Right. Or are they going to go and still stick to the model? That's been very successful. Great business model. Go and buy players for decent sums of money mm. and then obviously uh, sell them on for, for a lot more. Uh, but that doesn't win you titles, KJ. And what happens no. is the players and the superstars that you create then at some point get antsy and want to go and play for some of the biggest clubs in the world. So we're going to find out this summer if they're ready to, to go to that next level and they are willing to spend and take a bit of a risk to see if they can win the Premier League title. Yeah, let's find out. I think the, uh, the the thing I would say finally on on Tottenham is that you know they they their model of success is that they found players and we mentioned Trippier for two million. You can go on and on and on. They found players at such a level that was a great price for them, and they've moved that up a little bit. Lucas Moura, twenty five million, Aurier in the low twenties, and then they found players and then they doubled their worth immediately. They, you know, very quickly under the tutelage of Pochettino, who's made every player better. So you yeah. take a five million pound player like Ali, and then you turn him into being you know ten twenty times worth that much. That's the successful business model, and it's worked because they've then handed them co contract extensions. So their value is actually matching what they're getting paid at that point for Tottenham. But then 
they're still trying to stop the other people coming in and just picking the players. Um, so the reason I say that is they haven't got any experience of signing genuine world-class players at 80, 100 million pounds. They've never done it. They've, they've found players and they've generated them and they've created them. So that's the next step. It's not easy to do that. No. It's not easy as we're going to get to in a second with another club. It's not easy to go out and buy you know, genuine world-class players. So um, I, I don't know if you want to say about anything about that before we go to the next game, but that's that's the, the, the next thing if you're a Tottenham fan. Are they actually good at that? Are they good at finding that player? And who is that player who can come in and make a difference right away? That's key. Yeah, it is key and it's a hard one, but I think it's going to have a, a huge bearing on whether their manager stays as well because he has ambition and, and he wants to win things as well. And I think that it's going to be extremely difficult with the model that they have to to compete because City are going to go again, Liverpool are going to go again. The players and weaknesses that, that they have, they're going to go and spend 60 to 100 million on, on their players. And so you then just find yourself getting further behind and the disharmony comes within the, the group, the squad. And as soon as you get Harry Kane coming knocking down your door as a, as a chairman or as a manager saying, I, I want to leave. That's heart attack that's material it. right there, isn't it? Yeah. Eric Kane comes, knocks on your office, wants to leave. You, you have an heart attack. No, I mean, absolutely. There's no, this is irreplaceable. But it's going to happen. Like, there was rumours in the press this week. Gabriel Jesus and 100 million pound for Harry Kane. Yeah, Gabriel Jesus is a great player. That's a terrible deal for Tottenham. So it's, it's just it's irreplaceable at this point. I mean, look, but they right are the. Now, by the way, sorry, they are the prime example of how quickly you can burn 100 million pounds on rubbish. Yeah. Look what they did with Gareth Bale. They made all the money on Gareth Bale, and they went and bought Soldado and all those other flops. Yeah. So. You know, it just it goes very quickly. Is my point? Yeah. On average, players at that level. Absolutely, and and the problem is if the player wants to go, you know, You're done. that's it. You yeah. know, so it's not. I think they'll keep saying no to the, these offers for Harry Kane, but the minute he goes, guess what? I'm ready to move on. Then that's a domino effect that's going to go through that entire squad, and and that to me is probably keeping Pochettino for sure, depending on where his mind is. But Daniel Levy and, and the board of directors at Tottenham, that's what's keeping them up at yeah. night. Once that first one comes in or he's public and he says, you know, it's time for me to move on. I want to go and challenge for titles in, in Spain or Germany or, or, or England, the worst case scenario, another team in England, mm. then the whole thing's going to fall apart. And, and, and you're, you're asking the club and the, the recruitment director, um, director of football, whoever it is, to go and replicate the tremendous success he's just had not easy to no. keep doing that you know finding these gems in in, in europe and and you know doubling tripling your money and, and what you paid for them not an easy thing to do not at all the other game we did on tsn crystal palace nil uh crystal palace one manchester united three two goal victory for oligon solskjaer who continues his remarkable record in the premier league um you got a bit of stick yesterday didn't you got a lot of stick a lot was it a lot of stick yeah well in relative terms so, ten uh, people. We, well, all right. Well, if ten out of ten give you stick, that's I've got a lot of stick because I was very vocal in, in what I think about Solskjaer. And... First of all, right. Okay. We have to Set say it, it was a midweek Premier League game on TSN, and for some reason, in this modern day world, we get a lot of people watching us from England. How do they do that? Um, but they do, and so suddenly, you know, you know, our resident uh, football analysts decide to annoy many people from Manchester. London, uh, United fans, um, they, they weren't very happy with you, no. were they? No, they're not happy. And they're not happy because they love their little new toy, Ollie. Um, Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. And you don't believe he's got the, the, the correct credentials for the United job? No, I really don't believe that he has. And first, I want to say what a tremendous job he's did as interim manager. Everyone knows that, mate. Right, okay. But I, I think it's, it's important to recognise that he, he, he's brought back 
key fundamentals that it takes to play for Manchester United. That's true, yeah. That have been lost in recent years, that were just a given under Sir Alex Ferguson. And, and you know, through the, the, they've been diluted through Moyes and Van Hal and, and obviously destroyed by Jose Mourinho and his negativity and, yeah. and everything that he did to, to the players at that football club and, and tarnishing the brand in the name of Manchester United. And, and Ollie's came in and right away he's brought all of that back. He's reminded everyone what it means to play for Manchester United. The way you conduct yourself, the, the 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 sort of pressure you're under, and how you're expected to win every single game, and it's similar to other clubs around the world. But Manchester United are in the biggest league in the world, and they're arguably the biggest team in the world. And so, uh, Ollie's went in there and he's brought back a confidence and and a style, and he's he's revitalised and and reinvigorated some key players. The main key player being Paul Pogba, and he, he he's. Did something really simple to do that. He's let him be free, and he's he's put him into an area of the field where he can excel. And he's he's told him not to worry too much about defending. He's told him to go and be expressive, play off the left at times, do a little bit defensively, get back into an area, but get the ball, drive forward, take shots, get it wide, and get in the box. Pretty simple things for eight, eight a goals, player of his quality. Eight goals, five assists in eleven yeah, Premier League games because yeah. he's higher. And and Mourinho just put way too much responsibility on him. And then there was the feud between the two, and and so. However you look at it, Pogba basically stopped playing for Jose Mourinho. Well, Jose stopped him playing in big games. He maybe benched him. Yeah, he benched him because of his attitude, though. And, yeah. and in the end, it became a, a battle of egos between two guys with enormous egos. Right. And so Ollie's came in and went, OK, I need to get this guy playing. If there's any kind of battle between even me, the le- a legend at Manchester United, and Paul Pogba, I ain't going to win. Right. This is a guy that you know was the most expensive player in the world, a guy who's... A marketing dream, playing with the the biggest club, the, the, one of the most marketable three clubs in the world, with Barcelona and Real Madrid, and um, and so he's going to be here. He's not going to leave. So I may as well ask him what he wants to do and try and get him playing, which was smart. And and then there's the Lindelofs and the Rashfords and the many success stories. And Herrera, so I, I Herrera, him, Herrera's been good. Herrera's yep. been great. Even yep. Matic got a little bit. Everyone's got a, a well. Not everyone. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Most players have got a little bit better. Yeah. But I just think to compete with Manchester United and Liverpool is going to be extremely difficult. And I don't think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I know that he's not got the tactical nous to do that. Now, does he bring in a coach that can do that? Or is Mike feeling that guy? I very much doubt it. But right now we can see a guy there who is very much taking a backseat. He's more about the, the PR side of things the motivation than he is about the tactics. And I think they need, they're going to need more than the motivation and more than the PR to compete with the best teams in Europe and even to compete with the best teams in the league. We're going to talk about this regularly for the next few weeks on, on the podcast, no question. But before we do move on to one other thing, I do think you bring up a point, and I'm thinking if the, if the viewers in the audience or the listeners at home are listening to it, I think the one question that they would want to follow up is this. It's been reported that he's the only candidate going forward. It looks like a shoo-in. Gary Neville said there would be a mutiny amongst Manchester United fans if he didn't get it. 29 points in the Premier League um, in 11 games. So what are you seeing that they, you may think that they're not seeing in terms of that tactical flow to the game? Because he actually isn't... I mean, he, they're all playing better for him, but it's not like he's moved a lot of them up the field. They are still playing in very defensive. I would say they're more organised now, 
than they were ever under Jose Mourinho this season. I mean, yeah. the, the, the characteristics of United and Jose Mourinho were that he, he'd sorted that defence out. They were marvellous last year, but obviously they just couldn't get any clean sheets this year. So he sorted that bit out, but yeah. you're, you're looking for a little bit more. Am I right? Yeah, I, I think there needs to be more. Uh, and maybe he's going to get there, but I just don't see it. I just don't think he is. I, I don't want him to go in and start playing this expansive football because they will lose games. Right. They're not good enough. Which is why that. they didn't do that against Which Liverpool. Which is why they didn't do that. PSG. You know, they came in, they, they, they were difficult to beat, they were tight. PSG was a little bit different. They sort of tried to go and have a game with PSG and they got embarrassed. Yeah. And so I think Ollie, in fairness, has went, okay. We can't do that again against... You look shocked. They won't do it against game, City. They didn't do it against Liverpool. You know, yeah. they come back in and, and, and they play a more defensive shape. But then he gives them license and confidence to go forward. So they definitely look more dangerous on the break and, and, and they got guys playing better. But I, I think that they need a more systematic way of controlling the ball. That's what I believe. That's how I believe football should mm. be played. And that's how I believe that Manchester United should play the game. That's The, the history of the club tells you they play this attacking, exciting football, usually with wingers, and that's what the fans love. And I'm not certain that, that Ole's going to play that, and I, I don't think that um, they can win titles. Can they win an FA Cup? Yes. League Cup, Carabao Cup? Yes. But I don't think they can win titles, KJ, by playing this defensive style. I think you're right, but I also think they might be right. I think he might be that bridge. I think there might have to be a bridge between what's been happening in the past to get back to elite greatness. And they can't forget that, by the way. It's been too far away from elite greatness if you're a United fan because you you have to remember what got you there. And maybe is that pathway. I'm, I, I, I can't, I cannot envision, envision Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager lifting a European Cup, for example. Yeah. But that's where they need to get to. Um, and maybe he is caretaker without the caretaker yeah. title for another year or so and then some of those flaws will start to be showing up that you're already predicting which I think yeah. are very are very insightful but, and then eventually they're going to go we need this guy yeah and, but and, I firmly believe in Pochettino I do and too. so if it's if sorry Sean sorry Sean AIs we're always saying that yeah. but if he is the man and this is the time then yeah. you don't want to miss that opportunity no because I, I do it. think once but where's he going to go though if he might, he might not leave he might be there next year from do you know what I mean he might be, he might be, but if he goes to Spain, they're done. Are yeah. you ever getting him back? You know, and that's that's the big thing well, there. You know, and I mean, so Real Madrid likes to sack managers, but I know yeah, you that's mean. true. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. No, you're right. You're right. Um, go to Barcelona as well. Nothing against Valverde, but he won't go there though, will he? It's Espan tough to be Barcelona for a manager guy, isn't he? for so long. You don't think so? He's an Espanol guy. He won't go to Barca. I don't think. Okay. Um, look, we have to we have to move on, but I can't move on without talking about your favorite big rum. Um, so Lukaku Please. gets Lukaku gets two goals. You did the Chelsea Tottenham game. I did the Man United game. We are in charge of picking Rollins for the halftime show when people are watching at home. Um, Lukaku misses an absolute sitter on three minutes. Stevie didn't Stevie didn't see it. I'm like, can we get that that clip, guys? And I don't tell him because <laughs> because what I wanted my reaction. This is just for my own personal benefit. It's nobody else. But we're in the studio for halftime. Luke comes over to me. He's like, so uh, Luke Cage is like, what? Luke, uh, what do I ask you, KJ? I'm like, oh, Lukaku struggled. He had a bit of a miss early on. And then I've got a roll-in of his goal. And like, oh, okay, so KJ, over to you. Um, uh, Lukaku didn't start the game well, but got his goal. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was absolute 
embarrassing mess and of course he moves up in his chair and like gets ready for it Cor- corner comes over and his lads could have scored the goal from three yards out Lukaku hits it into Rosette and, be- uh, and beyond and his face I'm, I'm the rolling's look at you the rolling's like, in there and I'm holding my nerves just talking about it I'm like I've got a long rolling so I've got to keep talking about the goal and he's just his face is a but I know, I know he scored as well he and he scored. scored a fantastic was, first goal it was yeah. brilliant the way he opened his body and put it in the corner with his weaker right foot and, yeah. and so I know the goal's there I've seen the goal I know the goal's yeah, coming yeah. but um, when I saw the miss I couldn't believe it you like, could actually <laughs> believe it though yeah. That's he's not one of your favourites is he? he's not one of my favourites I, I don't think that he was never one of my favourites was he? You know, we, we did the World Cup together and Reggie. even at Everton though I, no, you're I remember right. I never really liked him no. I always thought that he scored a lot of goals at Everton but I always thought that he was a flat track bully to be fair yeah he scored he against scored the weaker goal. teams yeah. and he scored a lot of late goals and nothing against him he scored a ton of goals and he, you know he's got the Belgian record and it's he's, the hardest thing to do in the game mate. Right, score goals. so he scored a lot of goals but to play for a, a truly elite team, you need to be able to hold the ball up, do a bit of everything. And I don't think he does that very well. And lo and behold, since he's got to Manchester United, I think he's got even lazier. And it looks like to me, he, he's carrying a bit of weight or muscle. I don't know what it is, but he was he's not moving like he, he should. He was shattered on Sunday having to play right wing. Weren't he? He had to play right wing because yeah. Rashford had done his leg. Actually, it was it was quite admirable the way that he tried that on on. Sunday, but it was, yeah, on that kind of one. Well, well, it's a difficult thing for him. He's a number nine, so to be tracking back and forward like that, I thought, fair enough, he put in a shift, but he was toiling on that right-hand side. We must move on because um, we need to do another game and we do want to get our friends up here because they've got an early training session tomorrow. But we need to talk about Real Madrid versus Barcelona, like the 15th El Clasico in the last three weeks or whatever. There's, a, <laughs> there's, 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 there's another one this weekend. And Can't wait. It's going to be great. It's a big event in Toronto. You, we, you can follow all social media. Catherine's here from La Liga. Hello, Catherine. Um, it was um, it was the second leg of the Copa del Rey semi-final. Another El Clasico Um by the way, we'll get into Sergio Ramos a little bit later. And Oso, Oso's here. We have to talk Real Madrid with him. Yeah. Um, but the game itself um, was a fascinating one. We both watched it. We did Premier League. We both watched it last night. Yeah. And um, talking about, by the way, talking about top-class goalies, to Stegen. Brilliant. Marvellous goalkeeper. Great saves, eh? Marvellous goalkeeper. Yeah. Like, if you're a German coach right now, you're like, he's my number one goalie, by the Yeah, way. I think it's so. It's a yeah. different level. Yes. And it's the saves he made from Vinicius. We'll get to Vinicius in a second, but he kept Barcelona in the game. Yeah. And that's what you want from elite goalkeeping at that point when you're just a little bit on the ropes. The the, the awareness of he, that he comes out right away and he's there right away. His athleticism is magnificent. Brilliant with the with his feet. Sees everything technically as well. Um, but the, the saves he made kept Barcelona in the game that allowed them to go on and win in, in the end comprehensively. Yeah, he, he's truly a modern goalkeeper. He, he's agile, he's quick, he's off his line, he's part of the game. He, he doesn't think of himself as a guy within that 18-yard box expected to come for the odd cross and, and make a couple of saves. He's a player. He's on the field. He's, he's, he's part of everything that they do. And he's always been brilliant with the ball at his feet. And, um, and of course, he's always been agile, but... I don't think he made enough big saves. So it's a great point to bring up because now we're starting to see him create big moments through saves. It was always, you know, lovely on the ball, nice passes. And I felt not easy goals went in on him, but he didn't have big moments like the truly top-class goalkeepers out there. And now he's starting to do that, KJ. And he kept them in the game because 
I thought, I think we have slightly different opinions in this game, but I thought Real Madrid were really good in the first half. Mm. And Vinicius was magnificent. He was, he, he should have been, uh, you know, more clinical. Just got called up for the Brazil squad, by the way. Yeah, so, he's yeah. an outstanding player. Yeah. I, he could be their superstar going forward, you know. I, I really hope that they see him more than us, but it looks like he's tracking towards that, that they don't uh, curtail that or curb that in the summer by bringing in some really big guy that kind of... Hazard? Yeah, well, I think Hazard might be an interesting one because I still would see Vinicius as that. they got to play him, haven't they? He's too I'm thinking good. If, if the Neymar stuff's right and he comes in, yeah. Vinicius and Neymar and how much of the limelight comes off Vinicius because of that. Yeah. So maybe maybe they go away from that. Maybe they're never on that track, but that, that's the rumours. And Vinicius looks like a guy who can really be an absolute superstar moving forward. I agree. He's got a little bit of... Look, this is an outrageous comparison, so please stick with it. But the Brazilian Ronaldo, the way he dribbled with with, with his body, and he, and he has quite a high... You know, he's quite upright in his running style. Yeah. He's got that about him right away. Like yeah. He's got remarkable control for his feet. And he actually he keeps his head up a lot of the time as well. Yeah, and he's got quite like that, that kind of running style where you just imagine like he's creating like holes behind him, like he's the Hulk. You know, it's like boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. Like it's it's in, it's quite unique style of, of a profile of a player, really. But he's got tremendous feet, and he's also he's a gambler. What I like about him, he takes people on a lot, and a lot of times he, he wins. And you can still see right now he's got that bit about him where the opposition's defender doesn't know which way he's going to go yet. Yeah. They haven't worked him out. They haven't got any idea. So he's got that about him as well. He's just, he's almost improvising, but he also he looks like he's improvising, but he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, because he can go either way. And yeah. I thought that was a great comparison there with Ronaldo because they both have so much power and yet look so graceful. You know, they want to get there as quick as possible, but they do it in, in, in such a sublime way that it's like poetry. It's like watching mm. someone really beautiful, the way that they move. And, and Vinicius is is like that as well. He, he, he gets there direct, but he, he does it in the most flamboyant way. And, and so to see his career come so far so quickly just tells you what kind of talent that they have there. It's remarkable. We, we talk all the time about players transitioning from different countries and what comes with that and the pressure of playing for a Real Madrid oh, or yeah. a Barcelona or a Manchester United. is just on another level. You know, We're going to have uh, four or five professional football players up there and they'll, they'll all tell you the same things I'm going to tell you it's you watch a player on TV you think that he's, he's, oh, he's a good player he's an exceptional player you you see an exceptional player he's beyond this world you can't even believe mm. how good they are and so to to be prepared and to be ready to play at that level for that kind of team whether everything that comes with that at the age that he's at tells you what an exceptional talent he is and as long as he keeps his head on his shoulders he stays smart, he stays professional. He could be one of the best the best player in the world. Yeah, you mentioned we looked at it a little bit differently. I think you thought maybe Madrid were more unlucky than I did. I thought Barcelona yeah. in the end had control of the game a lot of the time. By the way, Busquets, what a player again. Magnificent. Um, and in the second half, Suarez, who's been a little bit under fire lately. You know, hasn't scored any Champions League away goals for for, for many years now. Um, but he was there on the, when he needed to be. Great finish just yeah. after half time. Um, it wasn't the scoreline wasn't really a fair reflection in the overall game, was it? But no. they, they were more ruthless than, than Real Madrid. Uh, again, Messi involved in a lot of it. I thought the fullbacks were tremendous going forward. And I actually like Sergio Roberto in a three. Had a he little bit really more good. defensive stability yep. about them as well. But in the end, they they they, they progressed and 
then um, the Real Madrid up and down, boom and bust team a little bit continues to exist. And I think Barcelona, were, I think they just net overall the two legs. Real Madrid were very good in the first leg. Barcelona just a little bit better. Yeah, they, they proved why they're just a little bit better than Real Madrid. They're gritty, they're determined, and uh, they, they obviously still have incredible quality. But they hung in when they had to. They asked their, their big defensive players. I thought Piki had some great interceptions, and Interstegen, as we said, made the saves. And then in the second half, when they got their opportunities, they, they really showed the flaws of Real Madrid. They're, they're still... Uh, Marcelo's been out of the team. Reguillon's a, a wonderful player, but... Ramos on that goal. Did you see Carvajal? Ramos from? Yes. So I'm going to talk about Carvajal. He got dragged right in with Dembele. You know, he came right in. A brilliant movement from Dembele. Dragged him in. And then as he spins to move in the channel, Dembele's an exceptional player. So, you know, I, I'm not that... Well, I am critical of Carvajal because I don't think he should have went in, but... That's when you're asking your centre half yep. to come over, come into the gap, clear the space. There was no real need for him to, to stay in the middle. He didn't come over quickly enough. And then, you know, everyone was disjointed after that. Brilliant cutback, great finish from Suarez. And that to me was the moment that, you know, that, that changed the game. Of yep. course, the first goal. And then they started to panic a little bit, found space on the right as well with a with, with high fullback again. Where Barcelona's, you know, forward right wide was, areas was in. were big in the game. Yeah. They were the fullbacks move forward and they don't cover the space well enough because the centre half, as amazing as they are, that they stick to the centre. They're spaced down the sides and against the the truly top teams of, of world football, you can't get out there in time. You know, as you're coming to try and get out, you actually just leave a space and right. they, they pick the right pass and. I know it was an on goal, but Suarez was going to tap in if it wasn't. Oh, he wanted it, didn't he? Yeah, he tried to claim it. <laughs> he tried to claim it. <laughs> I thought it was his for about four replays. I, yeah, I saw the last one. I wasn't one. sure either. It, it, was, uh, <laughs> it was a great game. Uh, talking a bit uh, wide areas, one of the greatest fullbacks in modern day football, Jordi Alba, signed the contract's extension until 2024. Um, so every credit to Barcelona to get that done. Okay, before we get our guests up here, let's do a little trivia. Um, first and first one to shout out the right answer. I don't know if, if we've got a judge in the market here, Sean. You're going to be judging this, aren't you? You're going to be ready. Um, name the opponent the last time Jonathan Azorio and Justin Morrow scored in the same game. Anybody? Name the opponent the last time Jonathan Azorio. No, the answer is an MLS team. The last. I should know this. Was, was this when Justin Morrow got his hat trick? It was not, no. No, it wasn't. No, not Colorado. Be quiet, Anthony. No. No, not Philadelphia. Yeah, and no one... Columbus Crew is the answer. There you go. Well done, Tim. Great shout. What a great jersey that is. Toronto FC. Toronto. What a jersey. Toronto FC 5, Columbus Crew nil, May 2017. There you go. So that was the last time these guys got the goal together. Um, come on up, guys. Let's come on up and have a chat. I almost forgot I had to come up here. I was enjoying listening to you guys. Were you? Well, we have to get you up here. You've got training in the morning before flying to Philly. So big start for you guys. Uh, pleasure to have you, Jonathan Azorio, Justin Murray. I know it's a busy week for you guys starting MLS season. So uh, thanks for coming. Ah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you guys. You know, KJ, I've gotten to know you over five years of being here and traveling together. And 
and Steven, you know, we were teammates together. Uh, I was 26 when, when I came here first, and you're a great captain, you know, took care of us, so thank you. Yeah, thank you, you. You guys played just over a season together. I'll pay them to say that, by the way. <laughs> just over a season together, right? 2014. Yeah. And yep. then you go into the 2015 season fully expecting to play another season. And then, you know, Captain Marvelous over there, who is no longer captain, um, gets injured <laughs> after two yeah. games. And, uh, that, you know, TF to be honest, and I can say this, TFC's loss was TSN's gain. So we, yeah. had, we, 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 brought, we bring him over. After that. Exactly. So we wanted to have you tonight, not just to talk about the team that obviously employs you, but to talk about the game that we love and the game that you love and how much you're involved in it and, and you know, your history here and, and, and the, the links to the city. But before we do talk about the big game, the big news of today is obviously Josie Altador signed his contract extension uh, with Toronto FC to take him for another four years with the club. Um, your reactions to what has obviously become a, a legend of the club, you know, sticking around to be your teammate for, for a number of years. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm elated, you know. Um, Josie, I always think it's interesting because we have a lot of great players in our team, a lot of guys that have done great things in, in big moments. And obviously, Sebastian was a big part of that. And he always got so much credit. But Josie, for me, he always showed up in the big moments, you know. When the in the big games when the when the lights are on he he got goals and he made plays and that's so important for our the history of our club and our club moving forward and also you as well your reaction obviously you've been a little bit closer higher to him playing up the field than, than justin sometimes yeah it's definitely um it's great for me um to play with a guy like that like justin said uh he's came he's come up big in all the the biggest moments of our club um Throughout the playoffs, he's a monster, and um, it's great. It's big for the club. I think he, I believe he's the first DP to to be re-signed, mm. which is uh, I think is a big step, and um, he deserves it. Uh, he loves the city. Um, you know, he's reiterated, you know, he's said it a lot to um, not only to the public but to us behind closed doors because it, it, it's honestly true that he he loves the city and he wanted to stay and. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he's going to be here for a, for the next three years, I think. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Greg Vanny spoke today about his leadership and what he brings, being a little bit different from anybody else within the team. Tell us a little bit about that, guys. You know, like his personality and um, and how he leads and, and, and what sort of influence that has on the overall group. Yeah, well, I don't know if you guys can tell, but Josie's is a loud guy. <laughs> <laughs> Never would have guessed. <laughs> so he's never quiet. He's always talking about something. Um, and that's always, that's important because you need those personalities in the locker room. But Josie also is a good player that brings lots of quality and experience at the highest level. So he always demands that out of us. You know, um, He's a guy that can, can change the game at any moment. And he keeps our standard high. What I like about having you guys both here tonight is and I mentioned the, the season that you played with Steven for a reason back in 2014 because the club has transformed itself since then, really, hasn't it? In terms, and you you guys have been a massive part of that And in terms of what you become now. You talk about those big nights. You talk about those big games and, and what Josie and what you guys were all able to accomplish. I, I think our listeners and our viewers here would really love to hear that what that does to a professional athlete when you win a big game like that because you can win a game in june and of course the three points are important but 
when you win a big game, like also like you scored in the Philadelphia game, you know, to the very first playoff win, or when you win a game like that, what that does collectively for a group to finally look at each other the next time you go out there and win a, play a big game, whether it be three days later, three months later, the next year to know we've done that. How, how big can that be confidence-wise for a team? Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, it, when you win a big game like that, it, the biggest thing it gives your, your team collectively is confidence and, and trust in each other. So, um, you know, you win a big game like that. Now you know you can do it. Now you trust the guy be, beside you even more, um, lets you play a little bit more free and uh, and just more confident, uh, I think, more than anything. And we, we, we've been lucky to have uh, a few of those nights, especially in the last few years. Um, and, yeah, uh, there's nothing like winning a championship. Winning a championship, this, if if you're 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 united forever, no matter where you go for the rest of your life, uh, you always remember that, and 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 you have that, um, you know, that in common with with your teammate for the rest of your life. Stephen reminds Luke about that regularly about winning that championship <laughs> at Burnley because it was against his team, Sheffield wasn't United it? At Wembley. I hope he's here. Is, is, is Wellman here? Is yet? Wellman here yet? Because. These jokes are going to be boring We could talk about that for not. 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, no, but it's a great point because there is that calmness through winning, you know, and, and the unity that that brings, doesn't it, guys? You know, you're, you're with a group of people and, and, you know, you're always going to get personalities that go together and want to hang out and stuff like that. But when you win as a team, you really feel that as a group and it gives you that inner calm and, and that confidence. And so... Um, when I look at you, Ozo, and, and you know, when I first came to Toronto and, and there's the such uh, optimism and, and the promise of what you could become and the way that you develop through winning and, and, and through the tutelage of, of Michael beside you and, and obviously Josie and Seba and, and Jamo and all, all the guys within your team, I see a, a, a calm and a, a, an assurance to your play now. Tell us a little bit about that, about growing up and, and, and becoming the player that you are and how you want to even take that forward even more in this coming season and beyond. Yeah, I think um, my first year and even the first year I played with you, um, I was a young kid, so I was just playing the game that I was playing the game the way I thought it should be played. Um, I wasn't really thinking about, oh, what if I miss this pass or whatever. Um, so I was playing very free. And then um, and then, you know, it comes a time in your career and, and it happens to everyone where, you know, the club is going to bring guys to to for you to compete against. And so the club started bringing in players that I had to compete against. And it was the first time in my career at that point that I had to deal with that. And then now you're playing a game. If you mess up, you're getting subbed out. Now you're thinking about these things. And uh, you can't play the way you want to um, sometimes. And um, I lost the, the confidence in myself or the belief, I think, that, that I, I could be a, a good player and I could help to be an important player. And I think uh, through winning and through playing with good players, um, Slowly, uh, I gained my confidence, and and then last year, um, well, it was the last year of my contract, so I had to go for it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> that usually wakes you up, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, last year I think um, I just yeah I went for it. That was maybe one reason, but another reason, um, you know, winning the championship the the year before, and and uh, I, last year was tough. That that. 2017 was tough. I wasn't in the team a lot, and then um, I did everything I could. I, I put everything into trying to get back into the team, and I did towards the playoffs, and then to play in the final and do that, um, that just raised my confidence really high, and I, 
to play to play i played arguably my at that time my best game in the in my career in that game so to know to do it in the one of the most important games uh, now i think that gave me the confidence that i could do it in every game justin is that something you can relate to obviously i don't think toronto fc fans have seen yeah. the the progression that they have seen with with jonathan as much because you're a bit of more of a rounded player when you came here a little bit older as well but is that something as a as a young player getting into mls that you can relate to when you before you came to toronto yeah definitely well first i want to i want to say how proud i am of oso because everything that he just talked about that doesn't often happen in mls i've been around where a team's trying to get better and they buy new players and force the old players out and the old players don't raise their game and i remember the time that he's talking about in 2017 when he wasn't in the team as as much but this guy's a true winner and he knows what it takes and he elevated his game and that was really cool to see um i'm really happy that he got the contract that he did personally because being a guy that's um, played in MLS my whole life and, and seeing the, the direction of the league and all these foreign players come in, it's really difficult for players that have already been in the league to get these contracts. Um, so being someone that's already played here and being Canadian to get a contract like he did was really cool, really, really good thing. And I'm proud of him. Appreciate it. Um, that's so sweet. Is <laughs> everybody got Kleenex out there? It was lovely. By the way, can I, I just want to carry on the love fest, a little small plug uh, on tsn.ca right now. Top five Canadians in MLS this season, uh, done by myself and, 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 and number one's on the couch. Uh, carry on. <laughs> um, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, just, be, just being in the league and, and having that, um, that progression to coming here to Toronto FC and seeing the, the team change culture and everything. It's been a great experience for me personally. And I've learned so much uh, about myself and about the game. And obviously, as Oso was talking about winning, what it takes to win. Uh, and it's been, it's been a really great experience since I've been here. There's two things I want to say in that, KG, just quickly. And, and first, it's take, on... Take your time. Uh, no. Oso is a great example to the Academy of Toronto FC, because no disrespect to, to Ashton Morgan or Daniil Henry or anyone else who's, who's came before, this is the first guy that's really established himself in the first team and, and you know and, and got that contract he deserves and really took his game on to another level, competed with some considerable international talent to show that, that he deserves his place in the team. And, and now he's you know uh, one of the first picks in Greg Vanny's team sheet. I'm pretty sure about that. And he's taking his game to other levels. And that takes great mental strength and great ability to do that. And, and, and so he deserves credit for that. And again, he's an example to everybody else out there who's, you know, my young lad's in the pre-academy. And he's an example to, to Will. And he's an example to all the other guys at 13 and 14 and 15 because they know they can do it now because, because they're a person like him. And my second point is that in 2014, we signed a guy from San Jose called Justin Morrow. And it was a very important signing in a year of splash, flamboyant signings. And I'll tell you why. Because it was the first time Toronto went and got a solid, and there's zero disrespect here because he's moved his game on to other levels. He's best left back in the league. To be fair, it was a bloody big deal, to be fair. Right. He was part of that. But he was a solid MLS guy who... We knew, we found really quickly, we could rely on, we knew what we were going to get from him. He was a player who was 
going to help take the team to another level. He wasn't going to be a guy who ended up scoring a hat-trick in the game, but he wasn't going to be a guy who's going to score every single week and be that, that flamboyant, that DP signing. But it allowed all of us, and we were there, to believe, okay, now we're actually getting a squad together just now that's going to compete. And, and these two guys took TFC to another level beyond 14 and 15 and, and the, the, the heartache of 16 and then the heights of 17. And, and they both have a, a very important part to play in the history of TFC. And they'll be remembered for a long time because of the part they played. Yeah, as they should. And Justin, you mentioned Jonathan's contract extension. You came here, played at a very high level, and then you had the decision at, the, at one point to maybe move somewhere else. And there was obviously a ton of interest in yourself as it should be as one of the premium left backs in Major League Soccer. Um, but talk about your connection to this city. It's become your home. You've obviously created a family here. Um, you know, you hear it from Josie, you hear it from Michael, American internationals, you played for the United States, you know, that this feels like home to them. And when I think the fans hear that sometimes, like, okay, some fans of other teams just say, yeah, it's it's just, you know, it's, it's hearsay. They can say whatever they like. But it, it's genuine, isn't it? There's no it question is. about it. it. Is. It's, no, it's you genuine. know, as somebody, who's in, as somebody who's invested in those interviews and I have to get the best out of them to try and showcase the best of you to them, I know that that's genuine because I can see it in their eyes and they've, they've said it many times. But I think it's exactly the same for you, no, no doubt about that as well. Yeah, I mean, when I came here, uh, I was coming from San Jose. I was there four years and it was straight out of college. I was still really young, really inexperienced. And I didn't, you know, we had success there, but I didn't really enjoy my time there. And I come here and I didn't know anything about Canada before I came here. Um, and immediately I just loved it. You know, me and my wife, we moved in on King Street when we first got here. Uh, since then, we've been moving a little bit further and further west since our, our family's growing to, to Queen Street, Toronto's available now. And no, the, the thing that I love about here, apart from the football, which I can go on forever, you know, Toronto FC is such a, a big club in MLS um, and we've had success. But just living here, I really enjoy. The people here are incredible. I love that there's people from all over the world. And one of the things that took me back when I first came here, uh, typical in the United States, is when you, when, you when you first meet somebody, they'll ask you, what do you do? But when you're here and you first meet someone, they'll ask you, oh, what's your background? Where are you from? You know, and they want to have a real conversation with you. And I thought that was really genuine. And even to this day, I, I think the people here are incredible. That's a great story. You know, it, as he said that, it reminded me a bit of, of the UK because they do that a yeah. lot in, in, at home, don't they? What do you do? You know, but it's about what you what you become. You know, what's your story? And do you find just to piggyback off that? Do you find that your connections um, around Major League Soccer, people asking you regularly, what's it like there? Because not just because of what Toronto FC have become, we're a true powerhouse in Major League Soccer, but as an American, you know, comes to Canada, do you, do you get a lot of people asking you about that, whether they're even rumored to come here or want to come here in yeah, the future? Yeah, totally. I mean, I have, a, I have a lot of friends that play throughout the league that are American, and they're they're wondering what it's like to live in Toronto. And obviously, they come here, you know, to play the games, and they see the crowd, and they see the city, and they st the away team stays right downtown, and some of the guys will go out after <laughs> after the games. Some, <laughs> none Everyone. of my friends. There's worse places to be. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They 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 get excited by. It. They ask me a lot of questions. Is that why the home form can continue to improve because yeah, they're exactly. out the night before? But, it's a big part of our home field advantage. There you go. By the way, the home field advantage in MLS is bigger than almost any league in the world. Did you know that? I can believe it. It's an, apparently it's a 0.7 goal advantage for home teams, which is like astronomically bigger than like La Liga or Bundesliga's 0.4. So 
So obviously the travel is a part. I of think that, travel partying in Toronto stadiums are unique as well, aren't they? As well, you've not really got traveling fans as well, so you have no away support playing yeah. in different climates. That's what I'm saying: climates and yeah. surfaces and stadiums and everything that goes into it. I can I can see that. Also, I want to ask you about Real Madrid. One of my favorite interviews I've done with you recently, where we had this guy was just like he just finished a game and then the lights were about to be turned off at BMO and. You know, he comes out and chats with me for like half an hour. And after a game, we're just like, it's just great stuff. And then we talk about Real Madrid. And, you know, this is a team that's very, very close to your heart. You heard us what we, what we had to say before. I, yeah, yeah. I know you'd probably like to come up here after a victory. Yeah. Uh, but you, but look, at the end of the day, you've got four European Cups in the last five years. It's yeah. not like you're not supporting Aston Villa, are you? Let's be honest. <laughs> 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 uh, so... You know, maybe just give our listeners a little bit of a, a, a bit of a background story, your connection to the club that you love. Yeah, no, just as a kid, um, you know, I was a normal kid like everyone. I, um, I personally love to watch football and I watched a lot of it. And, um, you know, like everybody, I watched whatever was on TV, whatever they're showing. And at the time, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, like always, is a, is a huge game. And um, this is during the time... Um, they made the Galacticos, and um, I was so fascinated with that. With just all the best players being on one team, uh, it was it was amazing. So um, yeah, I was just a fan of and Zinedine Zidane's my favorite player of all time. So uh, for him to be on there and to watch him play with Beckham and Figo and Ronaldo and the list goes on, uh, I was fascinated by that. I fell in love with Real Madrid for that, um, and you know, as a as a football fan, you, I try to you know, be loyal. And um, so that's what I've been. And uh, so until TFC was was made, uh, Real Madrid was was my team. And it's led to some good moments over the last few years. I know we were in Mexico together when they played Bayern Munich in the Champions League last year. And I think you and, was it you and Ash were watching the game together, yeah, Ashton yeah. Morgan. And yeah, yeah you, you, it's, uh, I guess you train in the morning and then you can watch some Real Madrid games in the afternoon. Yeah, right? it's great. That, that's the good thing about the, um, you know, the, the time zones and the difference is, you know, you, you go and train in the morning and and right when you get home, the, there's a game. So I, I like that. I like that part. Um, I don't know how it feels to. Well, I do because MLS games, whatever you, you wait till at night. But I don't know how it is to 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 wait for a European game to and, and watch that at night. I, I, I enjoy watching them in the afternoon. Um, and then it's even worse for the guys in the Pacific. They got to wake up extra early to watch yeah. some games. So I think where we are is perfect. And. And yeah, I love it. I, I love watching Real Madrid, uh, no matter what. Yes, Barcelona plays. Uh, it's it's funny because when I tell people I'm a fan of Real Madrid, they're a little bit surprised mm. because of the way I play. Because my way of play, they they would they would you would think like, oh, you, you like Barcelona more for their style, and it's true. I I I do like the style of Barcelona and the way they play, but I think for just the club and. And the fascination to bring the best players uh, to one club, I, I've always been a fan of that. Well, you got a midfield of Kroos, Modric, and Casemiro, so it's pretty good as it is, <laughs> it's, right? It's the all-white shirt, isn't it? The shirt with socks. Yeah. This, yeah. It hypnotizes you, you know? <laughs> the, 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 I, I, remember, I can remember Roy Keane, a guy I never got on with very well when he was Sunderland manager, in case anyone doesn't know that. But he, he told a brilliant story to us years ago, and he was going on, he was ranting as usual, he was frothing at the mouth and someone was coming but he said something actually quite quite smart he said uh real madrid beat teams in the tunnel he said you know when you're standing next to them in the tunnel 
and you look across, of course, they have the Galacticos and they have the World Stars, but it's the shirt. He says, it's something about that white shirt. People see it, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the image is of winning. And so they've, they've almost psychologically got one over you in the tunnel. And, and I think that's really important. And I think I can see why as a kid, also, and you, you know, you're watching Real Madrid and, and you have that affinity to them because they just always look so smart and they, and they just look so perfect in these shots and then the football usually complements that. Yeah, it certainly does. And Justin, I know you watch a ton of football as well. Often we do Premier League games and in the in the in during the mornings and then we'll come down to BMO and you have a little chat with us yeah. about watching the games and stuff. Yeah. And you, I always think of you as somebody who watches them to not only just enjoy it, but you, you believe that watching those games can, can, can make you a better player, don't you? I do. I, I grew up watching the Premier League in the United States. It was probably the most visible league growing up. And even here, you know, I, I watched the Premier League. I'm a fan of Manchester United. And, um, yeah. <laughs> that was a mixed reception. You'd expect to, at least, I mean, it's not all booze. Well, I, I have good reason for it. Um, my, my coach at university, Bobby Clark, is a famous Scottish goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, yeah, Aberdeen, yeah, he grew up at Aberdeen with Sir Alex Ferguson. To this day, they're still friends. So when I was in university, they used to talk all the time and he would come back and into the locker room and tell us stories or we'd watch film of Manchester United. So that's when I became a Manchester United film or uh, fan. And they uh, this is when they were incredible. You know, they had Cristiano and, and Wayne. And uh, I loved watching Vidic and Ferdinand, uh, top defenders for me. So I that's how I became a fan. And now you think there would you give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the job? I actually agree with Stevie. I, yeah. I wouldn't. There you go. Interesting. Is that because you just still want to see a little bit more of him, or you? But you're. I mean, it sounds like it's important. I think for United fans to remember those elite years. Is it not to try and get back there? I do. I, you know, it's it's very important that he comes from the club. That he's a former player, um, has had success there, and like Stephen said, that he he's brought the spirit and the attitude and the aura back to Manchester United, but. I think that if you if Manchester United wants to finish third and fourth, then they can go with a coach like Solskjaer. But uh, to to beat Manchester City, to beat Liverpool, you're going to need something special, and and that's why I think they they need to move on. Winners mentality right there from Justin Murrow. Don't blame you. Before we let you go, and we knew want to let you go because you've got a busy weekend coming up. Um, talking about Real Madrid, talking about Manchester United, and the culture of clubs and how important that is. You guys are in the middle of of, of really a, a, of establishing a, a significant culture at this club that I'm sure you guys will be a fans of for many years to come post-career. Um, how important is that uh, for, for you to not only just go from game to game or so, but to know that every single day you guys are going out there establishing a top-class culture for this club that you obviously is going to be is going to be in, inside your heart for, for, for the rest of your life? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, for me especially, for me being from here, uh, I just want to represent the the city and as, as best as I can. So every day, um, I come in to work and and to win. Like like Justin said, uh, you know, we not only am I a winner, I'm sitting beside a winner too. And 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 Steve, you're saying, you know, during that time we were we were signing big players. Um, Justin Morrow was one of the most important. And and I think because uh, not because you know he. You know what he's gonna get from him every game. He's gonna come and he's gonna do his job. Um, but what I what I really admire from Justin is that every day he comes to get better 
Um, you know, he lives his life uh, very disciplined, and um, and and that's what we need at TFC. I think that's the culture we want to we want to bring is is um, you know is success for a long period of time, and um, that's what we're trying to do here. Um, Justin's catching up to me in appearances, and I don't like that at all. <laughs> and, uh, Sorry, know, I'm a lot older than you are. I'm not going to last that much it's longer, mate. It's crazy because uh, in my early years, whatever, I was playing, and uh, and I was getting injured a lot, and then people were catching up to me, and and, and Justin was would never get injured. This guy was a machine, and I, had, I literally had to change my lifestyle because... Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to be number one, right? So, there you go. And he's still catching up to me somehow. I, I, I don't know. Well, maybe this year you both can get 34 each. Then you'll be fine, yeah, right? I hope so. And then and more, and more for the playoffs, <laughs> right? Just in a quick word on the culture. No, just, just to piggyback on what's, uh, what Oso saying and not to stand up here and toot our own horn or anything, but the more winners we have at the club, and we talk about this all the time, um, you know, when we come in and he's talking about fighting every day to become better, I mean, this guy and, and a couple other of us, we're, we're yelling every single day in training. You know, no, if you miss a pass, it's not good enough. If you don't make a play, it's not good enough. And uh, the more of those guys that we have in the club, and that's what we talk about culture, the more of guys that understand that and the urgency that we need to have, the better our team will be. And that that's when that culture will be established so uh, um we've been there and we're we're hoping to continue that i think winning is a mentality it's it's not about medals it's, it's great to win the trophy and to win the medals but there's only so many players and so many teams that can achieve that and to have a winning mentality means that you, you live by good habits you do the right things every single day and with these two guys sitting here and i know it's becoming a bit of love fest up here but they do it. They do it. It's not by coincidence. You don't just see them at BMO Field and Ozo scoring a goal or, or Justin's putting a cross in or, or scoring a goal himself. It's it's because of the hard work that goes in. And, and so when you're trying to build culture and, and you're talking about sustained success at a football club, it's about guys like this with the right habits, with the right winning mentality to take that through an entire club so that it just becomes second nature to everybody who's lucky enough to come through the doors of BMO Training Ground and whether you're 10 years old or you're 35, you're a part of that part of that mindset and uh, sustained success will come from that. Before we let you go, a um, couple more minutes. We do have a big part of our show is headlines and Sean's around. We do want you to just stick around for one more thing. Well, he just asked us one of the big headlines of the week, Shawnee. Thank you very much. Um, let's get at this pretty quick, but... Uh... Uh, after two matches at Newcastle, Miguel Almiron has left the pitch to standing ovation. Uh, have you guys kept an eye on the player, and did you expect him to have such an impact? Yeah, we have. We were we were training the other day. Uh, we were getting ready to go out to training when Newcastle was playing, and we saw a play where Almiron got in on breakaway. This was his first game, and he dinked it over the goalie, but it hit the post. And I think that was his uh, his first big moment in the match of many. And we were all really excited. We really wanted him to score. You know, we were all sitting in the training room watching this. I think that's just uh, MLS showing what we are and, and growing as a league and, and becoming a league that has players that can that are good enough to play in all these different leagues. Yeah, um, we're definitely following him. And it's great to see him, uh, you know, in so little time being, uh, you know, he's. I think he's already an important player for that club. And. In, in the last game, you could arguably he was arguably the best player on the pitch. So, 
I think it's good for the league. I think, as Justin said, we're all you know we're all rooting for him because you know I think this league wants to prove that it's uh, at the top and it's getting there, and um, and it's it's uh, players like him going overseas and, uh, and and it's not only making the move, but it's performing. That's very important. That's what he's doing right now, and he's proving, you know, it's showing that MLS players can can easily. Um, or not easily, but can can go overseas and, and, and play at the at the highest level. Newcastle has a, a history of strikers, players playing in their debuts and in big moments, either going for them or against them. And it really determines how successful their career can be at Newcastle. And I've saw it with wonderful players like John Dal Thomason on his debut, missed a couple of chances and you know, he had an incredible career with AC Milan and many other huge teams, but he just just didn't work at Newcastle. And so to to recognise that moment for Almiron and for an amazing little chip over the goalkeeper and for it not to work out and to hit the post. And I just thought, I think I said to you at the time, KJ, yeah. oh, because I just feared that he would let it affect him negatively. And then we saw the makeup of the man, what he's all about, and he just shrugged it off. 30 seconds later, he's pressing a ball down or he's getting back on it and, and working his magic. And... Um, it, it made me sort of proud. <laughs> I've never met the guy. I've never spoke to him. We're proud parents of this play. guy right now. I've only watched them play, but I was proud because yeah. I was proud for the league that I love, which That's is right. MLS. And I was proud that we're now bringing in young talent from South America and they're coming here and they're, they're, they're performing at a high level and then they're showing that, and it's only been a few games, but they're showing they can go to other leagues and can, they can be very successful. And we're creating young talent in, in Canada and in in the US that can do the same thing. Tyler Adams has been magnificent at Leipzig. He has a mentality to survive in Europe. These two guys maybe will, but certainly could have played in Europe yep. uh, in their careers. Alfonso Davies is in Barcelona, uh, Barcelona Munich. Bayern Munich, yep. doing really well on the bench, coming off, playing minutes. And so we're starting to see the right mentality to to succeed within strong teams in, in very big European leagues. Yeah, and look, and MLS is in a, a complete growth stage in terms of its evolution, and they want to be a selling league now as well. They want to bring these players over, and, and, and envious eyes from scouts all across Europe are looking at a major league soccer now, so it's good for everybody, let's be honest. And let's be honest also, there was, there was a, a complete and utter lack of respect from many people in the UK when Miguel Almiron went there for over £20 million, and many pundits just saying they'd never even heard of the guy. Well, now they've heard of him. Um, you guys have all heard of Justin Morrow and Jonathan Azorio. We're going to break here, but before we do, thanks very much, guys. Give them a round Thank of applause. You guys. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to the second half of a live football podcast. Again, thanks to Jonathan Azorio and Justin Morrow, uh, who have now gone home to their beds after telling us about their amazingly professional lifestyle, as they should. Um, the second half of the show will continue to be just as good, and we're going to talk a lot of domestic football. We're going to have um, some CPL guests on shortly. Uh, Luke Wyman will be on later. A reminder, hashtag AskAFP. This is how you win prizes, and this is how you can ask us questions. So if you're in the audience, use the hashtag. Shawnee will pull you up. And as I said earlier, be bold and brave with your questions. You can ask us anything, um, even the 2009 playoff final. We'll talk to Luke about that again later. Um, right? We're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up. Can't but, wait. But next, we are extremely proud to be uh, joined by Canadian women's national team, former Canadian women's national team, Carmelina Moscato. Come up, please. Uh, let's do a quick question. 
uh, quiz question. Uh, we're going to talk about the women's game. So if anybody can name me a team that is in Canada's World Cup group this year, you get a prize. Holland is the answer. You can say that. Whoever would said that, you can get the prize. Shawnee, you'll be all over that one. Um, the, the quiz is over. <laughs> you lost. You won every other quiz. You won yeah. this one as well. You got every piece of merchandise that we have. I, I, I don't want it. Let him take it all. He's got it all. I don't want it. He's got the mug, the t-shirt, the jersey. Good. We need fans. Keep downloading and uh, ra rate and review, please. Thank you. Have to get that in. And take that off, Shawnee. We did that one. Um, Carmelina, thanks so much for coming. No problem at all. Happy to be here. Yeah, we are. What a cool venue. It's it's good. This is what we want. You know, we just want to have a little, you know, relaxing time. What do you think of the sofa, Carmelina? Do you like it? You know what? I don't know if I could afford it, but I do love it. I think it's it looks very nice. I don't know where you got it, or it's all good. Big thanks to Sean and Clay for sorting that out today for us. And you know, it's been snowy around here. It's been tough to do the deliveries, but we got it all in, and we're all here for that. Um, so yeah, there's so many areas we want to go to you. We could be here all night, but we don't want, we want to send you home as well yeah. at some point. Um, it, it's just a really exciting time for the women's game right now. I think whenever you're in a world cup year, it just, the emphasis goes up, does it not? Um, and then, you know, we're going to get to your time with the world cup as well, but overall, this is, uh, I think a very important year for the game, isn't it? When you've got the world cup banner hanging over it. Yeah, it is. And it's for us, it's a, you know, in a quadrennial, it's the third year out of four. I get to a quadrennial defined as, you know, as soon as the Olympics is over, you start again. And uh, oftentimes, you know, it was funny. It was a big learning for me, even as a veteran senior player in the last World Cup that we hosted. Um, you know, all those players on that 23 player roster, that was the pinnacle event for us. But for the coaches, it was actually their third year in a four year event cycle. And the Olympics was, in fact, their pinnacle. So it's an interesting year. It is, in fact, very important. But I have to say, I think on the men's side, the World Cup is the biggest event. And for the women, it is an interesting standpoint where it's, it's a little bit of both. In fact, maybe the Olympics is a little bit more prestigious. So big year, uh, you know, 100 days today. So very exciting times. It's, it's an interesting point, Carmelina, because... You know, you're saying that there's some kind of parity there between the Olympics and the World Cup. And so I'm going to ask you about the 2019 World Cup. And we saw the success that 2015 brought. Obviously, it was here in Canada and record attendances and all that kind of thing. Are we going to see another extension of that with 2019 in France? Or is the likes of Eda Hegerberg not playing for Norway, the, the, you know, the Ballon d'Or winner, things like that? Is that going to be a negative impact or are you expecting the game to go on even further because of this World Cup? It's a great question. I don't know. I think I wish I could have this as an interactive uh, question with the group because I, I don't believe personally that the, the press, the coverage, the exposure, social media, et cetera, I don't know how it's been in Canada comparatively. I think everybody was super excited about the home World Cup and why wouldn't you be, of course. But at the end of the day, I don't know if this one is being as uh, celebrated you know, did anybody know it was 100 days away? I mean, I don't know that. And I think it's up to us to, as a soccer community, to continue to promote this in our own ways and channels. But yeah, to your point, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening in the women's game. Um, you know, I can't wait till the, the competition begins to increase, just like the men's pro proposed 48. Hopefully we become bigger. And I was still in it in 2011 when it was at 16 teams. 
you know, so it's growing all the time. And that means that nations are showing up and putting more into their women's football. So to answer your question, because I'm a long-winded kind of gal, um, I'm excited for this World Cup. I think it's going to put women's football back on the discussion table and people can start to celebrate what, what the women's game is doing and how we're growing. Uh, but it takes the support of the fans, I think, first and foremost. So back on 2015, you were a part of the squad. We covered it on TSN. Uh, I do want to ask you about your own experiences there, but I just think you just brought up a fascinating discussion that we're all invested in. I certainly am involved in this, and Stephen and I have had many conversations about the women's game. And one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you tonight and continue the discussion on our platforms, it, would you be... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how would you summarize that you think that the knock-on effects of hosting that World Cup in this country is, has helped? And has it gone to a level that you would have hoped? Or maybe is it still going that in a, in a, in a slower direction for you for the awareness of the game here since that hosting that World Cup? I, it's hard having been in it. I know what it did for the cities and the venues and how people showed up and you know the excitement around the events. We were knocked out early, right? The reality is we got to experience the last parts of the event just like everyone else which is exactly not how we wanted to spend our time. But, you know, when you think about it, has it lasted? I'm now a technical director at a grassroots club, and I'm thinking to myself, has registrations gone up in female sport? And the answer is no. You know, I'm not trying to, I'm not here doom and gloom. I'm here to grow the game and all that good stuff. But, you know, I'd love to see that more females and more pathways are being built so that there's a lot more sustainability in the game. So I think there was an excitement around hosting, and I think the seats were filled and to, you know, those things were achieved. Um, super big revenue generator. I think it was one of the biggest in a long time. Um, but I'd love to see maybe a call to action to get more of the girls involved now so we can see them from, you know, U4s all the way through um, and, and introducing more pathways for girls um, uh, in the future is going to keep continue with this buzz. You know, it can't just be every four years we get kind of excited and then then what? <laughs> it needs to be a long-standing effort, in my opinion. Yeah, on that note, you were one of 23 um, women in that squad that captured the nation. And you talk about the next generation and you're part of the of grassroots. You know, you were heroes to these to these people in this country. And, you know, some of those people have now moved on and, and maybe they've they're looking for you now and they're wondering, oh, where are they playing now? You know, so maybe for our listeners and... And, and, and viewers here, maybe give us an idea of where it's taken you as well. You talked about it there, but there'll be, there will be some people who, who aren't aware of where the game is now for you. Yeah, I retired in 2016. I was released from the Rio squad. So there was a big group of that 23-player roster that was actually not invited to continue and finish the quadrennial, which was a surprise. I mean, you never feel like your career is going to end in the middle of a quad. So it was... Uh, devastating. I mean, there's no nothing to hide that, but it was exactly what Canada needed. They went on to win a second bronze. You have the the likes of Ashley Lawrence and uh, the Kadisha Buchanan's and the Jesse Flemings, those ones making a push and in fact are the absolute core in that group now. And that's, just, that's, the, that's what a cycle's about. And ours ended a little sooner. Um, so to your question, I retired, you know, 2016 around May and I was quickly uh, put into the national team program to work with the U-17s. Within a short time was at the U-17 World Cup in Jordan. So within like five months, was hired as a Rex talent manager, which for those maybe, I don't like acronyms because what does that mean to people? It's a regional Excel talent manager. So we were implementing the curriculum of the national team on the provincial level in high performance environments. That's what I did for one full year, plus seven other jobs. 
because I was on a mentorship and learning. So um, that ended for me January 2017, no, 2018, January 2018. I went to Australia with my partner and uh, we ended up, I ended up coaching two women semi-professional teams. Found myself back in Canada after, you know, you think other places in the world are, uh, you know, Australia, they're on the world stage, they're fifth in the world, they're doing great stuff. But we all have our challenges, right? I think I hit the pinnacle as a semi-pro coach in that country. I think I hit a pinnacle there. So then I came back and I'll be honest, I'll give you a 30 second story of why I took a technical director job and my career has taken a few different twists and turns. But when I was a Rex talent manager, we inherited players at the age of 13, the high performance player at 13. And if they couldn't do something technically at that minute or, or globally, tactically, whatever the case, we would always be like, ah, the grassroots are letting us down. Oh, what the hell are they doing at the grassroots? Everyone wants to blame de- like what's happening below you. So I took this job to just actually understand what the hell's happening at the grassroots. So if I'm going to do anything with my career and give back, it's going to be starting from the bottom up. I understood top down very well. I still do high performance and such. But I think it's more about can I help U4s and coaches that are coaching the U4s and all the way up and we can make this this better. So I'm trying to affect change in my own way and that's where I am right now and who the heck knows where I've, weirder things have happened. I have no idea what's next. So to that point, are, are Canada soccer coming in too late? Is it, it, you know, are we getting these kids, boys and girls, at a stage where it's, it's difficult to change the bad habits and, and difficult to teach the fundamentals of the game? Do we think that we maybe we should be in a little bit earlier as a, as a you know, organizational body, Canada soccer? It's a fantastic question. I think the provinces are doing a great job to um, implement the long-term player development and to get more coaches certified. I just was lucky enough to listen to Jason DeVos yesterday in our York Region um, technical director meeting, and the poor guy's getting inundated with. He's getting hounded and pounded. Every time he speaks, it's kind of like we should be um, certifying our house league coaches. And this game has been supported on volunteers forever. So now, hold on, you're asking the club to pay for courses for volunteers who do it on their pastime, but he's like, well, would you, you, know, would you send your, play, your, your kid to a classroom that didn't have a certified teacher? It's that whole thing, it's like you wouldn't. So why are we okay with volunteer coaches not being certified on the basics? And it's like the clubs don't wanna pay for it. <laughs> it's, it's, we have to come to an agreement about what this sport is about. And, to your point, Canada soccer coming in at U4, maybe not, but the provinces are, are doing their absolute best. And I'm, yeah, they, they are trying. I know that for sure. They certainly are. Um, if you don't mind shifting our attention to the, to the national team right now, um, they are currently in a tournament. Yeah. For those listening to us um, after the live taping, the, you may all be aware that they're going to play their second game against Scotland, and that might have already been completed. But that comes tomorrow after the taping of this. They, pl- they played uh, Iceland in the first game and drew 0-0 yesterday, a game they should have won, but they didn't. In the end, they dominated the game, but they couldn't. Um, so let's hope as a future World Cup analyst on live television, how would you analyze this <laughs> Canadian national team for the World Cup? To be fair, I honestly, when I watched that Iceland game, because I watched the second half yesterday, um, I hope that that's not the direction we're going to head. I think it's that Iceland looked to sit in, looked to play very low defensive block and look for the counter. And, and it's some nations will do that. There's absolutely no doubt. That's a, that's a fine tactic if you're looking to win or get a result. 
But Canada, again, I think it's redundant to say, but it's very true that they're going to have to learn how to break down these teams with more creativity in the final third. Like, I feel like I'm completely, that's the game. You know, we're arriving in the final third. A lot of the work that we've ever done in that program goes into how we build through the thirds or the, the quarters. And then when we arrive, it's kind of like that final product. But that the good news is they have the, the players to do it. There's yeah. no one more exciting than Jesse Fleming right now. There's no one that I would want to watch more than her. Ashley Lawrence excites me when she has the ball. Janine Becky's killing it at Man City. Like, she is absolutely putting her name on the international and global map. And um, they have the players to do it. There's absolutely no doubt. And the, their direction that they've taken under Kennett, as opposed to John, um, is a little bit flu a little bit fluid. And you can see that there's, um, there's an enhanced kind of confidence in the group. And he's choosing the Rebecca Quinns of the world to be the center back because she's creative and she's actually a midfielder. Um, I think they're going to do extremely well. Their, their team chemistry is through the roof. I, I absolutely know that for a fact. And um, that goes a long way in the women's game. Probably in the men's game too, but maybe more in the women's game. So assuming Canada wins the World Cup, is there going to be a, a bit of a breakout superstar within this squad? Or is it going to be Kristen Sinclair that, that gets that winning goal? What do you think? Give us some tips on who we should be looking out for. You know you gave a couple there, but give us some more insight. Haidema and Grosso, not to be too um, biased, like working with them throughout the youth system and seeing how Grosso and Desiree Scott now are kind of splitting minutes and there you can see that predecessor type situation occurring and evolving. Um, Julia Grosso is going to be, and Jesse Fleming in the midfield, uh, that's unbelievable to me. And then watching Jordan Haidema uh, on the world stage has been a proud moment for everyone part of her journey and there's been a lot of people uh, that have helped get her to that point for sure but it's a, it's a tribute to her she's going to be an international star um, if not already considered on her way so Jordan Heidema for me I put my money on her and Julia Grosso before we get to Sean for the headlines for to get some more generate some more discussion with you during our World Cup chats we had the privilege to have Ashley Lawrence join us on set for one of the one of the uh one of, the, one of the shows. <laughs> and she was great. And, you know, she's obviously playing in, at a very high level now, obviously in, in, in Paris and doing such a great job there. And I thought it was fascinating for her to talk to us that day about what that day-to-day -day mentality has helped her, her game as well. And we just heard from the boys before TFC about the culture of the clubs and taking them on individually. You know, you talk about Manchester City there with Becky and, this, you know, Heidem is now off there and how big yeah. is that for the women's game and for Canada that these girls are playing in high-performance environments every day? We were begging like eight years ago yeah. to be in anything of the sort, like even to sniff an environment like that. you know. And then the NWSL came along and the federations created some sort of agreement where we were allocated to teams. And arguably that was a terrible system, I'll be honest with you. And that was because they didn't have to pay for us. We were given to them. And in fact, you just ended up like they preferred their domestics or their draft picks or whoever else. So you ended up in my particular case, I'll speak for mine. I, you know, you were one of 15 allocated players and treated like an absolute bottom of the barrel. And that's fine. Every coach has their opinion. I'm not saying I was the greatest player in the world, but there was something about that that wasn't a great experience. So there was an attempt to get these environments for us. But the advantage for having a North American league was the coach was able, John Herdman was able to take the players whenever he needed, right? And that was a massive advantage. So now that the players are in these top professional environments with a lot stricter contracts, they don't have that luxury. 
And in fact, do do the does the Canadian national team have to be in residencies to be performing on the world stage? Because we were so far behind a few years ago. Two quadrennials ago, we were like nowhere near. But now, as you can see, the growth has happened, the work has been put in, and now they don't have to meet as often. But it's also because the girls are playing in professional environments. They can't be leaving every time the national team knocks on their door. Because there's FIFA windows, and they're required to go to those FIFA windows. But anything around that, the, the club doesn't have to let them go, as you know. On the men's side, this is normal stuff. But on the girls' side, it's new. It's newer, right? So our top players being in those top environments are only helping it when they get together. And then they get to work on their tactics heading into pinnacle events. And what, what can we do, Calm, um, to... I say we, not just Stephen and I, but as a nation, as, as fans of media, TSN, what can we do to, to continue the growth of this game? Is it just this? Is it high-level conversations? Is it, is it, I'm sure you're invested in that. That's why I'm asking you the question that you've got a lot of passion, haven't you? To, yeah. to, and, and I'm sure ideas. I'd like to just give you a chance to talk about that. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for that question. I do receive it a lot. And um, I think the conversation's been pretty similar for the past four years, it's exposure. Um, with more exposure comes more interest in the game. Uh, the amount of, I run a lot of parent meetings these, these days, and the amount of uh, parents that come up to me and just say, oh, you know what, like on, they, they take me aside and they say, oh, you know, I kind of love watching the women's game more. <laughs> you guys don't dive and all these crazy things. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, <laughs> like it's normal for me. Like I don't think of it that way, but I think exposure. Um, and not just once every four years. So if, is there a way to stream, broadcast, talk about, and Twitter helps, don't get me wrong, but like maybe more streaming of games and accessibility to the game for people to then therefore fall in love with it. Um, on another level, just a quick one, is obviously getting more women in the game. And there's just so many obstacles. I think there's society and culture and life where women are still at home taking care of kids sometimes. That's not, it's obviously more of an equal society these days, but there's a lot more obstacles, I think, in the family. If you want to have a family, it's tough, you know? And so how do we make education for women more, for people, for people, but for women, a little bit more accessible, more online, more a la carte, you know, modern learning. There's something, there's a lot to do with how we kind of keep women in the game at all levels, at all levels. And it starts with a little bit of exposure and interest. And then where that interest goes is up to that female. But you guys can all agree, I'm always the only female in the room. All the time. And everyone's like, oh, how do you feel about that? I feel fine about it. It's normal for me now, unfortunately. But not every female feels comfortable with that. Like, I went to my, I'm um, doing my UEFA courses. Um, yeah, only female in the room. And then when you go out there, you have to be 30 times as good. Try your best. You meditate before bed to be as good as the, you know, you want to show you're okay and you're good in those environments. And then you actually show some value and they're like, holy moly. And it's like, I don't even feel like I'm good. I think they're just surprised that there's a competency there. In my TD meeting in the York region, I'm the only female TD. It feels weird. I feel like where, where is everyone? We, we have to start somewhere and you have to realize that you are setting a, a trailblazing moment here, though, at some point, because for you to voice those, I think, pretty, you know, it's it, 
candid responses to what you've said there is a start right away, Stephen. No, I mean, at the end of the day, that it's, it's very important that this, con that this conversation continues and that we're not afraid to address the failures of what's happening in the system right now and how we as collectively as people who are passionate, not only about <laughs> in soccer, but about life, you know, my daughter's 12, there's, you know, there's, we're all yeah. invested in these things. And, you know, it, it, we have to have these conversations. We're, you know, not be afraid of it. We're adults here. Let's just, re let's go head on to it and talk about the issues and let's get better at it. Yeah, you can't afford to hide behind the sofa and just pretend it's not happening. We've got to have discussions to get it out there. And I think that in Carm's case, it's a very brave thing to do to take on a, a TD role. And I mean that in the best sense because I, I've, I've coached with Carm before. We did a, a thing a while back, a few years ago, called Tear Up the Turf, where we were both coaching. And, I saw her delivery. She's absolutely fantastic. And so to take on a TD, it tells you how invested she is in the in the system and improving that system because she could easily have took a better coaching job and worried about one team, but she wants to be a part of helping a system. And I think that's that's really brave. We need more people like her within the game. There should be a balance here between TDs because guess what? There's a a balance between the, the members of every single club. 100%. There's men and women, with uh, boys and girls within every single club. And so there should be way more uh, female TDs. And, and Carm's a trailblazer. She's going to be extremely successful in, in whatever she does. You can tell that by her sitting here just now. And mm. I commend her on that because she could easily have worried about herself and her own career. But she wants the best for a group of people and for the game in general. Yeah, and she's the best, and that's why she's here. So, <laughs> thank you for coming. Um, before, before we let you go, um, over to Sean uh, to give us one of the headlines for tonight. Seanie? You guys already touched on the, uh, the Iceland nil-nil, uh, but how much uh, should we take from the Algarve Cup? This is actually one of those events that they'll go back and... Um, and truly analyze as gap analysis is as as they'll, they'll consider the opponents in this event. If I'm modern enough, if I haven't been away from the game modern uh, enough, that they're probably more like a tier two opponent, tier one defined as the USA's, the Germany's, and if you want to go by rankings, probably top five, six. So anybody seven and below starts to become like you know one B, and then they'll, they'll kind of define our opponents that way. So in a tier two tournament, which I believe Iceland and Scotland to be at this point in their journey, respectfully. Um, this will be just like how they'll do in some of the rounds in the World Cup, and it'll be give them information, but it won't give them tier one information right now. But it's tournament experience, isn't it? Spot on. Tournament experience, short turnarounds, taking care of the body, getting rid of, you know, getting understanding of what those routines look like for some of those young players. The more tournaments they can play, the more expertise that they'll develop. And do you think this is the kind of challenges they're going to face against teams like that where they're getting everybody behind the ball? It's difficult to break down. I, I watched the first half really closely. and they had The number of great chances, but yeah. you're right in saying that the play was fantastic. The yeah. three at the back I thought really worked. Quinn stepping out from the back was, was really Driving exciting to see. Yeah. Becky was magnificent on the right-hand side, but it's just that KJ talks about it all the time. In the game of soccer, the key moments are you know, an 80-yard box, really, and, and we sort of lack that a little bit. The spontaneity, yeah. yeah, that improvisation. At the last minute, you know, doing something that you just nobody expects, right? Are we, are we sticking to script a little too much at times? It's always been. It's been there. It's not John. It's not Kenneth. It's, it's, it's there. It's been there. So is it the system? Sorry to interrupt. It could be. It could be. It could be something where, yeah. Stopping that creativity from being developed and we're trying to make 
these kids into robots? Should we be a bit freer on that flamboyant maverick? Because I know I'm the same. We're saying to that boy or girl, get that out of your game, you know, be a bit more steady. And all of a sudden, we're just creating the same player within the system. Should we be cognizant of that type of player at 11 and 12? We should be. And I think uh, even with us, uh, where I work, it's going to be a lot about, you know, the, the curriculum we implement. And people use that word a lot. What's curriculum? It's just a guidance. It's guidance on age and stage appropriate programming. And what people fail to realize is that it's actually meant to be individual programming until around the age of 13 within the team context. It's not team development, it's individual development within a team. And, and you move through the game formats, 5v5 and on you go, 3v3, whatever you start at. But the interesting part is you're exactly right. Some coaches, it's if it's a mindset and a skill set and a structure, we overemphasize, some coaches overemphasize the skill set and then they can never work in a system. And if you don't get the balance right, if you don't have a team identity, all these crazy things, but if you don't address all three of them at some point in your curriculum, you're screwed. You can overemphasize skill set up until whatever age, but at one point do they learn to work with the team? Or do you overemphasize structure and then they don't actually build their own creativity? So it's no perfect answer, but you do need to consider all those three things. Fascinating stuff. I'm sure our audience would agree, and I'm sure many of our listeners who will be later listening to this as well. Um, thank you again for coming. Please make us one more promise. We are 100 days out from the World Cup, but yeah. we will be in very close detail wanting to preview that tournament again closer so please promise you'll come back i'll see if i have some time all later. right thanks guy <laughs> thanks Carl. great stuff very important conversations and uh learned a ton there so thanks again to Khan for coming up let's carry on the discussion domestically uh we're excited here it's a very exciting time in 2019 to be a soccer fan in canada why because the canadian premier league is here it's here to stay, it's here to arrive, it's going to be kicking off in the next few weeks. And we're delighted now to welcome two players from the Canadian Premier League, Manny Aparicio and Cal Becker, up on stage, please, guys. We've got them sitting together, even though they're rivals now, right? Yeah, I should be between them, shouldn't I? You should have been between. You might be between them by the end of the Bobby night. and Jimmy won't be happy with me unless <laughs> I stop these arguments, That's these right. fights. <laughs> they're all comfortable right now in the green room talking about the Premier League yeah. and... Uh, Fast forward to April 27th, lads. You won't necessarily be comfortable that day, but uh, it can't come soon enough, no? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were just talking about in the back. I was, uh, I've been saying I kind of feel like I'm in a cult now these days. We've just been talking about it every single day, kind of trying to keep the excitement going, but to finally be starting. I mean, they're start, uh, York starting tomorrow. We're starting on Sunday. It's just roll the ball out there and start playing and, and have it be real again. And that's the thing, isn't it, Manny? Isn't it? It's real. I mean, there's a lot of... People have been invested in this for many, many years. Now it's here. We're going to get to it in a second, but the schedule's out this week. Uh, you know, finally you're starting your preseason, and I'm sure for you it's just nothing but excitement and just ready to kick a ball. Yeah, you know, like, like you said, uh, obviously it, CPL was going to come before. It ended up getting postponed a bit. So, you know, we're all waiting for, for it to come around. It's finally here now, and, you know, we're all waiting. We're starting, like you said, I'm, we're starting tomorrow. They're starting Sunday. I'm sure other teams are starting around the same dates. But, yeah, we're all ready to go. Uh, all the players are here and, you know, uh, can't wait to, to get started. And, and obviously now we have a long two months of preseason because the first game is April 27th. But, uh, but you know, uh, we're all starting from zero and we have to, we have to get started somewhere. 
you guys obviously um, will forever be known as the, the inaugural class for this league, and a league that we hope will continue to be um, going way after we've all left. You know, that's the, what, what the aim is for this league. But you were also players who've come at a very high level from other areas that you had other, other opportunities. Um, we, going back to those moments before you signed for your clubs, Kyle, were the, were the questions that you had of the league? And, and, and if so, what, what were they? Um, for me, it was just a, it's a very unique opportunity. I mean, just, I mean, I've had uh, a lucky enough time to play with Stevie in, in Toronto and then kind of bounce around in the MLS. And I don't know if it was just sort of a, a perfect storm with what was going on in, in my career, but it's just, it's such an unbelievable opportunity to be a part of this from the ground up. I mean, it's, if we're actually truly going to grow this game in our country, we need to have a top division that's our own. I mean, no disrespect to TFC, Vancouver, and, and Montreal in the MLS. They've been unbelievable. But if we're actually going to blow it up, so to say, and be, be a big thing on the national level, then we need to have more opportunities for, for the kids we have in this country. And we have great players. And the, the thing I've seen year after year is you get to 16, 17, and then it's, it's like, what am I going to do? Is this a reality? How am I going to get this? What, am I going to go to college? Am I going to take a chance, go to Europe, and just hope something happens? Does the, the coach who I'm playing with actually have my back, or is he just feeding me a line kind of thing? And so I think for if kids can see this from five, like, like Carmen was talking about, just, just have this be a real thing, and then you can keep growing it and keep seeing it and see this as a reality, something that you can make a career out of, then I think we're going to see it just turn. It's going to be night and day with the with the the quality that we're going to turn out. I mean, we're already seeing it with uh, the kids we have on the national team right now who are doing unbelievable things. In Alfonso, Balu, all these guys, it's we have the talent, and it's always been here. It's just how do we give them the opportunity to showcase on a on a bigger stage, and and just to be a part of this from day one is is what excited me. I mean, who cares about Kyle Becker? It's about Canada soccer. So just to be just to be a part of this is awesome. And, and Manny, for you, same kind of thing, I would guess, when you were signed, you know, it's a no-brainer, obviously, to come back and play, but I'm sure you had some questions of the league as well at that point, and, and you had other, other choices as well. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, obviously, you, you always have choices and you always have options in, in this sport at the end of the day, and it's different from what the women's game is. You know, we have a hundred different leagues, you know, you can choose from, but have your own, like Beck said, you know, it's it's something special. Uh, it's something where, you know, it's, it's we're making history at the end of the day, all these leagues and and, and we, we needed one, you know. Uh, there were so many uh, players and at my time at TFC, for example, when Steve was there, Bex was there, uh, you were covering it uh, and I was on the academy and I could have named you 10, 15 guys that, you know, could have made it to, to first team or could have made that next step, but you're at 16, 17, 18 years old, and you don't have that next league or, or that, or, you know, playing 25 games a season, 30 games a season. You were playing academy uh, at the time was the CSL. Uh, there was a reserve league, which was what, 15, 20 games uh, max. What, if, if it didn't rain. Yeah. <laughs> if it didn't, didn't rain, because it was a rainy day, you know, called off, so. Uh, it's something we needed for a long time. Uh, Bex had to go overseas to play when he was younger. I, I'm just coming back now, you know, uh, and we were lucky enough to be able to do it. But there's so many guys that, you know, they didn't want to leave home to go uh, overseas or even to the States. And, and that's a big difference. You know, you, you'll be able to play for your local club, for, for your team at the end of the day, for your, for your city. 
Manny, both you guys started at Toronto FC and went different paths. You spent some time in Spain. Do you feel the responsibility coming back here to, you know, both Canadian internationals, coming back here to Canada? Now you're one of the leaders in your dressing room. These these young guys, or all these guys are going to look to you for that leadership in, in, in that way. Do you do you feel that? Are you excited about that? Do you want to bring that? And, um, and, and how are you going to, you know, do that from day one, set a culture from the start? Yeah, no, uh, it's actually funny to, to now be the leader. You know, uh, when when I first started with TFC, you were actually the leader of our team. And, you know, I remember back then, you know, you guys taking us under under your wing, you, Dero, all these players that, you know, were in that change room. And now, yeah, I'm, I'm 23, but, you know, you got you got to kind of, you know, the experience we've built over the years with, with TFC, with playing overseas, national team, whatever it may be tried to, to kind of help those young guys because at the end of the day, there's 18, 19, 20-year-olds kids signing and they're going to need it. It's their first pro experience and, you know, we're, we're going to be there to try to help them and try to coach them along with our coaches, along with Jimmy and along with Carm and along with whoever it is to try to take that next step and, and make this what this league should be, you know. Uh, it's not just going to be all, we need owners, we need sponsors, we need, you know, money. You also got to Played on the field and played off the field uh, in the change room and being a professional day in day out. Is this something, guys, to the the pull of, of of playing at home? You know, you guys have played all around like different places now, and you know, there's you grow up as kids and you want to prove to people here that what you can do, and then you obviously your career takes you in different areas, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's exciting, but to go to these places now, you know. Halifax, Edmonton, Calgary, Victoria, you know, Vancouver Island. Oh, there's so many, there must be such excitement there, Kyle, that you can go out there and, and play on Canadian soil as a, as a proud Canadian. Absolutely. I mean, I've been, I've been lucky enough to play for Toronto, so I had my, my family there, which, which was awesome. But this, again, is kind of what we were speaking about earlier. It's about growing the game. Now your community actually can have a team, whereas the entire GTA and everyone had to go to Toronto. Now you can, you're from Hamilton, you support Hamilton, and you actually can create that, that awesome feeling, which is the special thing about soccer and the, the, unique, the unique opportunity that we have as starting from ground level where none of us are big time and we have to have the humility to get out there and meet the fans and, and represent our community in our towns. And, and for me to be, again, another opportunity to be close to home, it's, it's awesome because in this line of work, you don't always have the chance to play in your backyard in front of your family and friends. So... That's something I'm, I'm never going to take for granted, and I'm obviously looking forward to that. Forge FC, York 9 FC, Tim Hortons Field. These two guys in the middle of the park against each other. We have tickets, by the way, we're going to give away tonight yeah. for that game as well. You're going to kick them, aren't you? Tell us, come on. <laughs> have to. You better kick them. Yeah. I don't think I have an option, but this guy, he's flying around. You know, I'm getting a little older. Take him out in the first five minutes. It's tough tongue. to get near him. If you get the chance, you yeah, kick him. Exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. Otherwise, you're going to be chasing around the park for 90 minutes, and who wants that? So. It's, it's important to start that rivalry off right away. You know that. I mean, like, I, I think I just screwed tone. myself. You set the tone. You know, for years to come, they're going to be playing this montage rivalry. And then, you know, years to come, you guys are going to be old guys, and they're going to be showing you two going face-to-face -face in the first ever game. That's yeah. what you got to realize. You want to be on that montage, yeah. lads. Just got to drop the mitts at center ice, right? Do a <laughs> represent Canada. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can yeah. score the goals as well, of course. Yeah, that, come that's on. important. Everyone's coming for the fight. Sort him out, you know. Why, why not? Yeah, uh, um, before we get to the last headline from, from Shawnee and, and we let you go, and we do love having you guys here. It's been absolutely brilliant. 2026 is obviously a big 
moment for all Canadians to look forward to. You guys are still involved in the game. You said you're getting old now. You're still really young at this point, both of you. I'm all washed uh, at up. This <laughs> at this point, that's still got to be a goal for you guys because you're going to be playing professional football for the next six seasons. Um, obviously, the Canadian national team, there's a tremendous amount of positivity around the men's game now. Um, but it hasn't always been that way. But that's still a, a, something that's, that's there for, I would imagine, not just you, but the people in the locker room. It's going to be a big carrot dangling, isn't it, for Canadians? Absolutely. I mean, uh, by no means am I like crossing my fingers or anything like that. But also in the same breath, I'm, I'm not coming to the CPL to, to mail it in. I'm here. I'm kind of in a different, different spot than Manny because I'm a few years older and I want to be more of a leader on this team and, and give these kids that I think definitely have the, the talent to push to break into this national team and, and keep challenging for a spot and then keep getting better as, as a whole. So, I mean, obviously, if I was lucky enough, then come on, you're playing for Canada. That's, a, that's unbelievable, and especially on the, on the highest stage. But for me, it's just it was, we just got to get the ball rolling and keep doing everything day in and day out. And, and kind of the commissioner, everyone's kind of spoke about is being patient, but it's just building this in the right way because we have a special opportunity as Canadians to potentially or to be hosting this World Cup, and, and we need to get this thing right. And for you as well, man. Yeah, no, same thing. Um, obviously, it's always in the back of your mind as a player. You know, even if you're 37 years old, you're always thinking national team, you know, that pride to, to play for your country. But at the end of the day, like Beck said, uh, this isn't just about us. The league, you know, obviously, yeah, World Cup may come and it, hopefully we're there and I'm there and hopefully Vex is there and whoever it may be. But this league is for the next generation, you know. It, we're here now, and we're we're made, we're here to put the stamp on the league and to make get it going, make it grow. But this is for the kids playing for Woodbridge, for Vaughn, for East York, for whoever it may be. You know, 12, 13 years old, uh, that they're gonna have this league up and going. Uh, Ten years of the league already, hopefully playing and and with 15, 20 teams, and you know, uh, a league where they can come in and and really the national team come and pull players from this league. You know, uh, right now I feel like the national team, every time they had to look for something, it was overseas and, and you know, they had to go so far when the talent was right here all along and we were trying to find ways to get our games going. But, um, but yeah, obviously in regards to the World Cup, it's something we all look forward to and hopefully we're still around to play for it. But, uh, but yeah, we just can't get started or can't get uh, enough of, of football, you know, to, to start for this World Cup. You guys have got a great opportunity. Um, you've worked really hard to be where you are in your careers. Enjoy it. You know, it's going to be a magnificent time for the Canadian Premier League. We wish you nothing but the best. Before we let you go, and again, thanks for coming. It's been a pleasure. Um, over to Shawnee for, for a next headline. Speaking of national teams, uh, U.S. soccer um, is working with CONCACAF. CONCACAF and... Oh. <clears throat> is working with CONCACAF and Common Bowl uh, for a 16-team tournament uh, to compete with the UEFA Champions League. Uh, is this a good idea, or should the two federations try to build up their own properties first? What do you guys think? So what, what this is, is US Soccer announced recently this week that in 2020, they want to have um, a tournament that wouldn't be like the Gold Cup, but in a, trying to start their own thing here by getting, obviously, the 12 nations from Common Bowl um, to, to come into their 
you know, the, sorry, the 10 nations from Commonwealth to come into a tournament and ask six CONCACAF nations to come along with them to give teams like Canada, who I think would be invited with knowing that they're involved with Mexico and, um, and, and the United States for the World Cup, to give them an opportunity to play the likes of Brazil and Argentina. And it's just, I guess it's just, again, showing that CONCACAF are making more and more relationships around the world that's important, Cal. No, I definitely think it's, uh, it's important. It would be awesome if that, if that happened because, I mean, if you're playing more competitive games as a national team, it's better. Obviously, we can all do friendlies and everything, and, and we've been in this weird realm where we get knocked out of the hex early, so then you're just going two, three years just playing friendlies and they're not competitive games, and, and you show up in these camps, and it's, hard. it's not like it's hard to get up for it, but it's how do you keep everyone motivated so then when the, the actual qualifying comes, that we know how to be in-game ready and, and play these games that matter and get in those tough experiences where you're playing in terrible atmospheres. Well, they're unbelievable to play in, but it's, it's yeah. intimidating. Difficult. Yeah, and so you get used to that, then, I'll, then I, think it's, I think it can only be a positive. Great stuff, guys. Obviously, we just I want to echo the thoughts we just said again. This is going to be a really exciting time. Go out there, enjoy the time, enjoy preseason. I know preseason can be a little never bit enjoy long, preseason. Do you guys? Eight week preseason. I never anyway. That's try for sure. and enjoy preseason <laughs> games to come, and uh, we'll be watching on the twenty seventh when you guys are trying to exchange fouls. Okay. Awesome. Thank uh, you for having right. me. Appreciate Thanks, guys. It. Thanks Thanks. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Luke Warman's in the room. Let's just get up here now, Luke. Come on. Was he in the back? Come I on thought, up. He's Come in on the back. His rider was yellow jelly beans only. We have to have him on that side. You can't side. change the order. You can't change you the order. far too weird yeah. if he was in the middle. Yeah, exactly. This is much more comfortable, though, than... Uh, there you go. Should, should we tell him about Luke Warman's rider? He was asking for just yellow... Jelly babies in the back. He was asking for champagne. Well, he's a coach now. Oh, yeah. He's a coach. He's exchanging coaching stories with Carmelina earlier as if he's some <laughs> big-time coach all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Did one, one course. That's why you went on the Premier League on the weekend. Let's tell you. It was because I'm trying fans. to help grow the game and advance my own Excellent. Uh, education. That's right. And taking it very seriously, coaching these U8 boys. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> you know what? They... My, my son just entered the U8 rep program at Markham Soccer Club. And so it's my first actual. I'd heard the horror stories and everything about, you know, youth soccer. Well, of course you did. You went with Jason. I went with Jason for a long time. So I've heard, a, heard plenty of the stories. Um, so we went to the tryouts and, and we were standing by the side. I was standing by the side of the pitch and the, one of the guys walks over to me. He's like, uh, you know about, uh, about soccer. You talk about it on TV. So... We need an assistant coach for this team. So do you want to do it? And I'm like, well, not really, but I, I should. You're in trouble <laughs> by I, that. I, not at all. No. But um, maybe if I, if I say yes, my son will definitely get on the team. It won't, you know, it's not going to be a problem. So I say yes, and then I think I can get out of it at a later date. I'm just busy with work or whatever. And, but it turns out that as soon as you say yes, then you're in it for life. Like, there's no escaping it. You're in. But as I was saying to Carm earlier, I actually, from that point when I had not, a year ago, if you told me I would be helping coach U8 boys, I would have like thought you were crazy. But I actually enjoy it. It's, it's been something that's been since last May. It's like, I actually live for going coaching those. It's much better than sitting with these two idiots on talking on television. Like the, you, the, the, well, to be fair, you've got you, it's enhanced your uh, knowledge of the game a little bit more. You're coming up with a bit more tactical questions now. 
right? Maybe, maybe we should ask him the questions now, yeah? <laughs> yeah, you know? Why are Chelsea playing 4-3-3? I don't know, because I'm only half watching. <laughs> <laughs> or not watching, because you're doing courses on Saturdays now instead. But, no, but the, no, I have to say, though, that it was... Um, it was you've it, surprised us, I have to say that. It was good to see, and Calm touched on it as well, that there were 30 people on this course, on, on OSA Fundamentals course for, like, that one of the things that one of the things I really learned from it is that it's not like coaching Barcelona. I should maybe dial it back a little bit in terms of criticizing these seven-year-old kids, especially my own. Ke but it's, it's about fun. As Kevin Payne said, you just used the B word. Well, Barcelona. Oh, Barcelona. Yeah. 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 Kevin yeah. Payne said the Barca, B word. Barca. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's it was good to see that there were people who are committed to growing the game, giving up a Saturday. Um, to go and advance themselves and learn how to, to be a better coach for these kids that are coming through. So it sort of restored a bit of faith in, in where we're going right now. And this, you gave up a country. Saturday you gave up a Saturday with us. So Yeah, and you know. it was it was the best Saturday I've had in a long time. Yeah. A long time. Well next season you'll have a lot more Saturdays without us as well. So <laughs> uh, where do we go from here? Uh, let's have a look at my rundown. Uh, Chef United are doing well. They are. Yeah. So they Luke Wildman's a big Sheffield United fan. Actually, quiz question. If anybody knows, um, Brian Dean scored the first ever Premier League goal ever. Just ask Luke. He reminds us every week. If anybody knows who they played, Man United. Yes. Uh, uh, and give that Anthony a little presence. <laughs> um, was it not Everton? Uh, Man United is the answer. Anthony gets a prize. Uh, Man United were the, were the opponents that day. Um, I don't know if you remember this game. Did you commentate on it or anything? No, no. I was still watching in the stands at that point. You were there? Were yeah. you there? Yeah. yeah. Um, just to prepare for this a little bit, I reminded myself of this game today. And uh, your goalkeeper at the time, do you remember who he was? The goalkeeper that day? Was um, it, uh, that day? No, Simon Tracy. Simon was, Tracy's was the, the answer, yeah. yeah. He absolutely mauls Ryan Giggs in the penalty box. Like, clattered him down. And he didn't give a penalty. And, and I, I've got a, I've got a quote here. I had to run this by you because I had to take you're a picture too, of it. Far too, it's far too. No, prepared. no, this is no. You're gonna. I actually you, don't. You're like gonna understand why I said this right now. So questions. in 1992, it's just stop talking. In no 1992, <laughs> 1992, the man that you talk about to us every week as a hero, Dave, ba Dave Bassett. Oh, Dave Bassett, legend, absolute legend. No, listen, Dave Bassett, listen. legend. No, no, no. It's never so, been said. No, the same hold on. Let him carry on. This is going exactly the way it's supposed to. Carry on. <laughs> no, go on. No, no, you, you legend, Dave Bassett. Carry yeah. on. Well, yeah. no, you're always impressionable by what you watch when you're growing up. And and as I was like uh, late '80s, early '90s, he was in He was the manager of the team, Sheffield United, the team he support, getting promoted to the Premier League. Or back then, it was the old Division One when they actually got promoted with a, a team of legends as well, like Brian Dean, Tony Agana, Ian Bryce, and all the like. Yeah, incredible sure. talent. Whatever they you should say. have played at a much Incredible higher level. Talent. Like, just stop. Anyway, and I, I, 1992. I love, I love Dave Bassett so much that yeah. I used to go on holiday with my parents to a place called Bournemouth on the south coast, like a four-hour drive maybe from Sheffield. And I don't know, people probably hear it's not a Canadian thing really, but every time you go to an English seaside town, they have these sticks of rock, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Blackpool, which have the, Blackpool which rock, have the, yeah. the name of the place. And I would always bring Dave Bassett a stick of rock back from my vacation. And I would go and take it with a with a postcard to the club, leave it on the on the desk. This is as a fan or a reporter. <laughs> as a fan, okay. As a fan, I was going to say didn't know the guy. Oh, okay, I thought you were reporting on didn't the team at guy. that point. 
But he would he would always he would always write a letter personally signed back to me thanking me for for leaving him the stick of rock. So that's close. Well, Dave, yeah. ba- Dave Bassett was asked about this uh, this. Um, Rugby tackle by Simon Tracy on writing gigs in the penalty box post game. By the way, it's the first ever Sky Sports. It was the first ever live Premier League game ever. Well, that's when football started. It is nineteen ninety two. Nothing before that. Yeah. It, she- like- Sheffield United two, Manchester United one. Uh, United uh, gave away a penalty. Which which United? There's only one. United. Manchester United oh, on. gave away a penalty. Gary Palace the foul. Brian Dean scored the penalty. Giggs did not get given the penalty. And afterwards, Brett, um, your legend, hero, and rock eating Dave Bassett. <laughs> Said, Bournemouth <laughs> Rock. Yeah, was asked about the aforementioned incidents between um, Ryan Giggs and Simon Tracy, and he said, "Quote: You always have your heart in your mouth when your goalkeeper comes out at the feet of a forward. Well, you kind of should. He actually, you know, tackles him, misses the ball, especially now as forwards are looking to go down like they've been poleaxed. That's the one thing we have learned from the Italians and the Germans, which is not particularly good." <laughs> So the legend was also a racist. <laughs> what a thing to say! I, I, I'd love to hear what he thinks about the game now. If he <laughs> says they were diving in 1992, <laughs> oh, we what? should get him. We should try and get him on TSN one weekend. That would be fantastic. I, I don't know what gives you the right to tear down someone's childhood hero. Like, you'll always have your rock, mates. Yeah, you'll always have you'll always have the rock. But Chef United, present day. We're going back up. Well, that's not what you said on. What did yeah, he say this week? Always negative about it. You he said you were not does. going up. You said the other day. We're not. That wasn't. That wasn't in front of people. You know. So every week <laughs> was, we we sit there and we watch our games and look because his iPad. We have our phones and you know we're buzzing around, but we're, we're keeping an eye on many different games. I'm I'm Partick Thistle for my brother. We're all Partick Thistle. We're all Partick Thistle right now. But you know KJ's Villa and 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 Luke Sheffield United, and we're keeping an eye on the results and. Wildman's the, the king of keeping quiet when Sheffield concede a goal. Yeah, you just know. Yeah, but you yes. know, the score is like getting and yeah, he's, yeah. He's screaming for the hilltops about yeah. how good they are. Who's that striker? And he goes quiet for a little Billy while. Sharp. Billy Sharp. Yeah, Billy Sharp. Sharp. King of Sheffield or whatever you call Sir. it. Sir, 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 Sir Billy. Sir Billy. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not so keen to tell us when they concede a goal, but are But they've you? been doing well lately. They find it ourselves. Why would I? Because we're sharing results with each other. Really? Supposed to be. But you are—you do have a special affiliation with the club, even though you end up reporting on the club afterwards. Well, I was the sports editor at Radio Sheffield, the BBC, so actually, I didn't actually tell anybody I was a Blades fan until I moved to Canada. I can never go back now, because one week I would commentate on Sheffield United, the next on Sheffield Wednesday, and then when they played each other, I'd have to be like straight down the middle, mm-hmm. and then every night we'd do an hour of the call-in show, and people would, and I, I like, if they'd known at that point, yeah. That I sort of leaned one way or the other, then <laughs> I would have got lynched. But you're not going back, so it's fine. But no, probably not. And if buy, I do, I can't go there. We have to buy five five plane tickets. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. not going back. I used to go back. Probably regular, to be six. <laughs> well, when I moved, I moved here in 2006. We would go back every year to England, and then we had one kid, and we kept going back at Christmas time. Then we got to two, and then three, and now I'm never, never leaving Markham again. Like. <laughs> Two nights at Great Wolf Lodge a few weeks ago, and I was ready to like I've I've done, like, and that was an hour and a half in the car, and oh my goodness! So so England has got to wait a long time, like well till they can fly themselves on their own, and we'll go separately. 
if he ever flies with three kids to England, I might just buy a ticket and go. I want to go. <laughs> we should go. <laughs> Sit right behind you. Yeah, him. we should yeah. just watch that. That'll be like a fantastic eight and a half hour movie. Because yeah. when we fly to MLS else. games, who's in the uh, points first class system? Executive class. Mr. Wildman. Oh, he ever take yes. us? First, zone one. Zone one. Zone Wallman. one, he's off. He's waiting there. We're yeah. zone four or five. Yeah, yeah. Basically underneath with the baggage. Wildman's sitting there. He's comfy. <laughs> He's got his champagne. Luke's got his cup of tea already in his mug, in his hard mug, not one of them crappy little plastic cups, you, you know. You, have I ever missed a flight? Oh, no, but you have missed kickoff of a game before. No, 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 it wasn't kickoff. It weren't kickoff, it to be kick fair. Come on. He did miss the it broadcast was a live broadcast. Tuesday. It was, it was kick almost kickoff. It was a live broadcast Tuesday, and we're about to go to air, and someone's eating chicken fingers. We get. I, I, I got the headset no. on. KG's next to me. Doesn't live, have a in, live in 30 seconds. And so I'm here in 30 seconds. I'm, I'll be in. He's, he's never late. Normally no, it's no, me. They, they, they threw to us early. No, they but were a no. minute and a half early. Someone so normally it's me coming rushing in, but this time it, it's me there all alone. And I'm thinking, you'll be in in a second. Then I hear 10, 9, and then I can hear Kelsey Braid's voice saying, and for the call of the game, look, Wham and, and Stephen Caldwell, and there's nobody next to me. It's just me. <laughs> And I'm like, oh shit! What? <laughs> I guess I'm calling the game. And I'm right on top back, and I'm saying, Owen, Luke's not here. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm panicking on the spot. And Luke comes busting in, chicken wings coming, fingers coming out his mouth. Too busy eating the buffet in the media box. I could, I honestly, to this moment, I was there watching the whole thing. I don't know where you came from. Like you were like not there, and then you're, hello, Luke Warman here from BMO Field. I was like, where did he, like, where did he, were you under the table? I was like, I was waiting for remarkably. Stevie, I was just waiting for him to panic. It was a remarkable like, yeah, entrance. The only reason he told that is because he was the one that missed the flight. He Out was. of the three of us up here. Yeah. So we're going to Vancouver last, last year, last year sometime. Yeah. And um, we get there on time. It's an early morning flight. We get the 7 a.m. flight from Toronto because we want to get into Vancouver for nine so we can go to training, do our jobs properly, be there the day before the game, talk to the coach, be talk thorough, to the players, get notes, be thorough, make you know, sure that we're doing go to doing bed a good the, job the night the before. Yeah, yeah. So KJ arrives and I'm in zone one and I'm just looking at KJ. <laughs> and how's it going? I send him a postcard from zone five. Sends me a postcard from zone five. Like uh, so, as KJ comes on, he's like, "Have you seen Stevie?" I'm like, "No, I haven't seen Stevie yet. Maybe he's not already at, on." At he's, that point, I knew it was over. By the way. Because I'd sent him numerous messages Nothing. that didn't say red. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew that he was done. I knew. We were somewhere, o I was on the Wi-Fi, we were somewhere over Winnipeg by the time we got a message back from Steve Just saying, woke up. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I may have had a couple of beers the night before. <laughs> He ended up getting to Vancouver, I think it was about 11 hours after we had, yeah. when we'd done everything we needed to do. And, a uh, couple in Scottish means 10. I missed three, uh, uh, there was no space for me on three flights, so I had to wait at the airport the entire day. <laughs> missed the entire day. Yeah. First flight I ever missed. Arrived and went straight to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have some fun on our travels, no question about it, and we're lucky going out to Vancouver again this year. MLS season is starting. Um, we did the games this week. We're, um, press conference today. Josie Altidore was was announced as the the, the next uh, four years for, for for Toronto FC. You guys did the game on Tuesday night, and I, I, I think it was 
fair to say that Toronto FC need to put that game pretty pretty quickly behind them. And this is a massive start for Saturday, isn't it? Philadelphia is live on TSN at one o'clock. It is, and it's not easy because they've they've had a decent off season in terms of retooling and some decent signings like Fabian coming in. So um, I asked Greg Vanny today if he expects, and we've already seen them stumble in the Champions League, but I said, is, is this, because he said it's not the finished article, it's not where we want to be, we've got people who are still going to come in. So I said, so are you going to hit the ground running or is this something that's going to be a slow build and we're going to, you know, you're going to see you outside the playoffs until later in the season? And he said, no, we can't afford to do that again. We learned that lesson last year. Um, and I, obviously they wanted to go as far as they can in the CONCACAF Champions League, but with where this squad is right now for their success in Major League Soccer this season, I don't actually think it's a bad thing that they've done in that, that other tournament. Yeah, I, I don't think that they, they have the quality at the moment, even if they bring in two or three more recruits. I don't think they'll get up and running quickly enough to win the CONCACAF Champions League. So that makes going out, and it's always embarrassing and disappointing to go out to Independiente, a team in Panama, but it actually makes it worthwhile because now they can completely focus on MLS. And as we know from last season, it was something that was difficult for them to do. And then it was really hard for them to transition from the, the disappointment of Champions League to uh, you know a successful MLS campaign. Injuries were occurring and a number of different issues with, with things there. And so I agree with you in that regard, Luke. And I think that with regards to hold Saturday... On, hold on, hold on. You what? I agree with you, you know. Hey? It's never happened before. <laughs> well, he hasn't given analysis before. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my job. There are other hosts you may or may not work with. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> Carry on. In any sport, yeah. who, who like to give their own opinion or their own analysis, right. but I leave that to the experts because I know what my my area of expertise is, and that's to make you two look good. Mark them under eight. Mark them under eight. Mark them you eight. So I think as we were up there today, get back to the point, <laughs> um, we, we could sense from Greg Vanny that they know they're going into a, a different Philadelphia this time around. Yeah. You, you touched on it, Luke, with uh, Marco Fabian and uh, and Santos up top, Brazilian up top, Mexican international Fabian, and the quality of Medunianin's ability to play and the, the changing direction of the club with Tanner coming in as president with Ernest Short leaving. It's a different Philly from what we've seen before. They won't be intimidated. They'll fancy their chances against TFC and they want to get the season up and running. I think they'll be pretty aggressive, certainly with the way they press, but the way they play. And, and TFC understand that this is a, a very tough game to go and get something from. Yeah, And it's going to be a strange start for TFC because obviously they've given themselves a bye week in week two because of the CONCACAF Champions League, which now isn't there. Then they play home to the Revolution. Then it's an international break. So by the last weekend in March, they've only played twice when a lot of teams might have played three or four times by then. But um, I know they're targeting that last game uh, is it NYCFC on yeah, the Friday, Friday night? night yeah. Friday yeah. match night, live on TSN for Pozuelo's debut. Yep. So um, <laughs> by that point, they'll they'll still probably they'll already be playing catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's cut to the chase, guys. Ultimately, this is an enormous year for this club, isn't it? You know, they, they, they've got to get it right. And last year, you know, was a disappointment, and the year before was was a miracle. You know, it's the, the, the kind of thing that these fans here and some of the fans listening at home would only dream of. You know, record setting. Nobody expects it to be repeated this season, but last season absolutely cannot be repeated. 
for the way that this club needs to go forward, for the culture of the club, the, need, the way that needs to be looked upon. They have to get this right. And, you know, for me, anything short of a, com a comfortable playoff position come the end of the year and a good run in the playoffs is, uh, for a team that has high expectations and a high salary, it would be a failure. It certainly would be a failure. And uh, the one thing they're going to strive to, to achieve this season is consistency. And that, uh, it just wasn't there last year. There wasn't any consistency in the performance, any consistency in the, the selection through injury and change of shape and everything that came with that. And I think we, we, we saw a side in 2017 completely focused on their, their goals, their, their uh, deliverables, just steely determination to, to, to achieve. And they did that. And then we saw after the, the Champions League campaign, just a flatness and a, 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 a malaise around the football club that they, they couldn't shake and then they couldn't find any consistency. So the key for me, Luke, I think you might agree, is they need to start off strong and they need to get that consistency then build on and get stronger and stronger. They can't afford to come out in any game, certainly this first one, with a lethargy and, a, and a, a, a sort of expecting it to happen because they'll probably get embarrassed in Philly if they do that. Yeah, maybe one of the other differences this year, Michael Bradley alluded to it today, was the fact that the locker room is, he's happy with where the locker room is now in terms of the personalities, the fact that a couple of new guys like Lawrence Simon have come in who are character guys, as he described them. Um, and maybe that wasn't always the case last year with... with um, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Yeah, definitely no, wasn't. We've, yeah. we've seen with the fact that, like, Vanderweel posted on his Instagram this afternoon that, you know, he was training on his own at Downsview after everybody else has left, and mm. that kind of sums up what the feeling was from within last year as they were... I mean, you would know, Stevie, I'm sure, not that you don't get on with everybody you've ever played with, but there must have been somebody that riled you a yeah. little bit and you had to Stevie you know, getting riled a, up was a problem in the locker room and you yeah. you know it can affect people it can affect how, the team how long do we have doing <laughs> some stories <laughs> who's who's the worst uh, there was a lot of bad ones but you know one thing that always used to bug me and it's about we're talking about standards and culture and consistency and to me that happens you know on a Monday morning all the way through to you, you don't switch that on or very few people I've ever played with have been able to switch that on at 3pm. And, and and Zigic was one for me, big Nikola Zigic. He was at Birmingham with me, KJ. Um, and, you know, some days you just walk around the entire training session. And so I remember... He walked around on the pitch on yeah, Saturdays as well, true. to be fair. And I remember one day we were playing 6v6 and, you know, it was competition day and we had some teams. You always want to win the games. It's important. I used to always think at the end of the week how many... 6v6 did I win and it would affect me if I'd lost more than I'd won I won more than I lost because I cared and it mattered and Ziggits was walking around and I just decided it was time to have it with him and just kind of called him out on that and just said you're not pulling your weight and you know he was a big aggressive guy he came back at me great but it created that tension that was needed at that time just oh, between us yes but to let everyone else know or for me, as uh, vice captain of that team, Stevie Carr was a, the club captain, but he, he was injured often and I'd wear the armband. To let people know, it's always a... You never think about your partner next year or the best player. You think about the 25th player, the 28th player, and it's about letting him know these are the standards. The young lad that's just came into the first team, this is what it takes. Every single day, you've got to be at it and you, you've got to be there. And, and Ziggich didn't know that. I called him out on it. 
there was a little bit of confrontation, and I think we were better for it. A little bit of a confrontation. A little bit of, a little bit of confrontation. <laughs> well, if it was a fight, I certainly would have lost. He was about six foot yeah. seven, wasn't he? I was going to say, very often, Massive. I'm going to say very often, um, you and a certain MLS referee would have a contra- confrontation where you would be leaning in on him a little bit, as you used to do, the lean <laughs> the lean in towards the ref. You couldn't lean into Ziggish, no, could you? That, no, no, that would no. Be a I was problem. leaning back, <laughs> yeah, yeah. doing the moonwalk right out of where I was exactly. before he went for me. <laughs> Um, but it is another season of MLS on, on TSN, an exciting season for all of us. Uh, before we get to Shawnee and uh, the Ask AFP, I guess we should just cover briefly the the entire season. And, and it is in a growth spurt. You know, the Whitecaps have turned over the majority of their roster. The Impact had a very good second half last season. They've got one of the best team players in, in the league in Piatti. Um, we just want Canadians in the playoffs, don't we? Some Canadian teams in the playoffs would be nice. Yeah, because especially now the season's shorter. If, I, if, I'm, if the Canadian teams are done by October 6th, and I'm home for what the winter do with in November? Two, two kids under two. What are you going to do in November, mate? Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Um, so someone's got to get in. Right now, I actually think that Montreal are the best group in terms of being ready to, to hit the ground running for the new season. That's because and we, we followed them closely towards the end of last year. They almost got in. Yeah. Um, and KJ, you know the stats better than anybody. I, I can't remember yesterday let alone like what happened a few weeks ago and anytime i need any any kind of information kj's got his big black book and he can tell you like how many times nacho piatti touched the ball with his left foot in the 13th minute of any game during the season um but what was the start they had last year uh lost 11 of the first 15 11 of the first 15 and then and the then second half of the season they were they, 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 they were good enough to be the third best team in the eastern conference yeah but yeah but i do want to pick up on something there you you said that i have the things that you can trust. I think you did. You almost used the word trust. You didn't go there. I didn't say trust. No, no you didn't say trust. Because, no. but you were alluding to the fact that any time, and yeah, you were alluding Barry to the fact Dolberg. that any time you can ask me something, and I mean any time yeah. that you that I can give it to you. But there's been many times on live television where you've asked me something at break, and we're coming back thirty seconds to go, and I've given you the right answer. You've not believed me. Like so, Europa League games uh, and a great goal by Dahlberg. Uh, KJ, what's his name? Casper. Uh, Casper, I'm like, I'm like, what do you think it is, Barry Dolberg? So, so he just goes with so Wilman being the you know the professional, and I score a great goal by Dolberg, as the script says. But he wants really to say the first name. Happened again this year, Ken Semmer with Watford. You were like, Ken Semmer? I'm like, I'm telling you the truth, and he still to this day looks at me as if I'm going to give him the name. One of these days, I'm going to give him the wrong name. He won't see it. One he these, won't see it. It won't matter. So, so even though you think that I've got all this information, you still don't really have that trust. And we've worked together a long time. I'm hurt. Hurt by that. Yeah. I haven't got an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the perfect time to bring Mr. Sean Kay in for, uh, uh, is it headlines or ha- uh, hashtag <laughs> But that mic, that microphone sounds about as good as Tottenham's chances to win the Premier League. We've gone two hours. Please leave off Tottenham. Um, but we're going to go straight to Ask AFP, um, just because we're running a little bit short on time. So Sorry we're going to. Yeah, they told they told me I was on at eight thirty. My parking ran out like two hours ago out there. My car's going to be towed away. Stevie, will take your bedtime. It is. is. You are very late for now. Yeah. Wow, uh, lights are on. Um, but I'm going to uh, announce the five that will uh, have the questions. And uh, thanks to the CPL, we will be giving them uh, two tickets to, uh, to the inaugural match. Um, so nice. we have uh, Nathan, if you can come up and ask your question, uh, followed by Ivan 
and then Rowan Massey, and then Trevor Ellis, and Sonia. Let's go. Nathan. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi, Nathan. How you guys doing? Uh, my question is, who do you think has had the more impressive season, or the better season, depending on how you want to look at it, Eden Hazard or Jaden Sancho? Jaden Sancho, for me, no, no question about that. I think the development in an 18-year-old and going to a different league, a different climate, and the way that he settled into you know the team that are at the top of the Bundesliga, I think has been really impressive. And while we don't cover the Bundesliga on a regular basis, what I've seen from him is he's been absolutely outstanding. And he has something a little bit different. When we had Carm up here earlier, we were talking about that creativity and and that's something special when it comes to the last third. And and this lad has it. And you know, obviously Hazard's there. He's, he's one of the world's best players, but. Sancho has been very exciting for me, and I think because he's 18 years old, the the um, development that can still come is pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, when you've got people like Michael Zork from Dortmund saying that now they're scouting English talent better than the German talent at that age, then I'm like, what, what world are we living in? It's weird um, for an Englishman to hear that stuff. But yeah, he's been great for them. Um, I will say that Hazard remains, for me, one of the most underappreciated, underrated players in world football. I think he's absolutely marvellous. People want a little bit more out of him, but maybe they'll get that when he goes to um, a, a, a real proper team like Real Madrid and plays with real world-class players because he's not playing with many now. So, Luke, your opinion? Neither of them would get anywhere near the Sheffield United first team. <laughs> We're just too good. Um, it's 2019, not 1992. Sancho or Hazard? Sancho or Hazard? I haven't seen enough of Sancho. Right. I, I can't just, like, I can't just... Have you seen enough of Hazard? Do you know his first name? Barry. Right. Barry, Barry. Harry. Harry Hazard. Harry Hazard. Harry Hazard. <laughs> Yeah. Harry Hazard. Um, a quick story about Hazard. This is how like, I'm driving home the other night in a snowstorm and I've got Waze on and they keep, calling, they keep saying Hazard warning ahead. And I keep thinking about him. I just did the Chelsea game and all I keep thinking is Erin Hazard. So every time I hear the word, that's how good he is. He's in my mind all the time. Should be Chelsea warning ahead. Hazard's going to leave in the summer. That's true. <laughs> good point. Um, next question. Hi guys, how you doing? Hi. Uh, Hi. Long time listener, first time caller. Thank you. Uh, I didn't have that many characters, so I'll do my best here. So uh, after the Panama debacle, does TFC intend to compete for the MLS Cup this season? Or are they officially rebuilding at this point? If so, how do perennial prospects like Morgan, Chapman, Telfer, Endo, Hamilton, some players who maybe were released at the end of last season, didn't really find a team for a period, have been re-signed again. How do they fit into the team now? And you got that in 280 characters? <laughs> yeah. That's I impressive. To, I had to add a little bit. <laughs> That's good. Um, absolutely. They, I, I would say they wouldn't consider themselves rebuilding, and they think that they can win MLS Cup. Mm. I think that the, the fact that they, sooner or later, there was going to be some kind of transition because the three DPs were all coming up out of contract at the end of the season. Um, like you said today, Josie's now the face of the franchise yeah. right now. They've given him the keys to the car for the next four years. Um, we wait and see what happens with Michael Bradley at the end of this year. But right now, they've lost Jovinko, they've lost Vasquez, Pozuelo comes in. Um, but they've still got that, they've still got that core, um, even though they've lost Jovinko, who was, was a huge part. Um, it'll be interesting to see just 
like because the, the Panama that the Panama away performance shocked me. I didn't expect that at all. They were more like themselves a little bit first half on Tuesday night, but I still think they're a long way from where they need to be if they're going to be be challenging at the end of the season. As for some of those prospects, I don't know that they're suddenly going to get a chance in the first team. Do you? Like the likes of an Endo or a Chapman, or <laughs> they're always going to be those squad players who are yeah. coming in when it like. Well, they can't, they can't win MLS Cup with a guys being regular in the eleven. I don't think. I think that's no disrespect to. to I can't remember all the players, but if they're going to ask on to me, that's a squad. That's their their backup, and everybody's important when you win things. And so the guys are going to have to play meaningful minutes. But if you're relying on uh, the guys to to play week in week out, which is something that happened a little bit last season, then problems are going to occur. I agree with you, Luke, that there's, it's clear they're in some kind of rebuild, but when you're Toronto FC and you spend the considerable money that MLSE do on this football team to try and win, win everything that they're in, then there's never a true rebuild. You're expected to succeed. Playoffs at least, uh, latter rounds of the conference, but I'm just not certain, and we don't know who else is going to come in, but I'm not certain that at this moment they've got enough quality and enough cohesion to win MLS Cup. And I'm just thinking, without, without knowing what Greg Vine is going to do, there will probably only be on Saturday for the first league game two players that didn't weren't around last season, three maybe. But it's most of that team that played last year is still there. Yeah, and that might be a bit of a, one of the reasons why it's still a problem because I think they would openly admit that they're they need to get better and they need to find the recruits. Uh, they have got to bring the fear factor back, and what I mean by that is in, in, in from their opponents. And right now, the fact is that the opponents won't fear Toronto FC. They just won't. You know, it wasn't that long ago where an MLS coach told me that playing Toronto FC was like showing up to a gun uh, a gunfight with a knife. You know, the, the TFC have got the knife now. You know what I mean? They, they need to get, they got to get those guys back. They got to find a way to be quality every single week and get that back. And it's a pivotal year for them. Pivotal year for a lot of people within that squad. Um, but right now, you listen to the previews, you listen, you read the previews all week. Um, the MLS Cup contenders, the teams that everyone's looking at are doing them things the right way. TFC are not mentioned. Thanks, gentlemen. Hi. Hi, guys. How are you? Hello. Hi. Hi. You look a little nervous. <laughs> can't actually see anything. Oh. <laughs> I can't. Okay, well, um, I'm just going to read my question then. One second. What are your detailed, thought-provoking, and well-researched thoughts on Udinese? Luke can answer that. For the record, sure it's been he's like, seen them play every week this season. It, it's been three hours and not a single Syria in a positive light discussion. So well, we've covered a lot of stuff. Funnily enough, <laughs> funnily enough, because th this this right, Dave Bassett, right? <laughs> Haven't we had enough of Dave Bassett? No, 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 no. no. The first ever interview I did with a manager was Dave Bassett when I started working in Sheffield. There was this, I, I still don't know why it was introduced or it didn't last Strangest tournament ever, it was wasn't it? The Anglo-Italian Cup. Oh, it was and weird. I don't know how teams got in it and how they were picked, but Sheffield United were playing against Udinese at Bramall Lane. And I had to go on interview because nobody else could be bothered with this tournament. They sent me as the 16-year-old kid to go and interview Dave Bassett about this game. Did you uh, give him his rock? <laughs> And, and to be honest, I've not seen Udinese since. 
So I covered Udinese a lot when I did the uh, Serie A on the score. And I uh, keep an eye on them. I mean, obviously, Alexis Sanchez used to play there. And uh, we watched a lot of Serie A uh, till the, to this day. Yeah. You know, Champions League teams and, and good teams. And that's why we can't talk about Udinese. <laughs> bet, yeah, they're, they're not doing too well. I don't know the position exactly, but they're down near the bottom. I've, I've actually been watching quite a bit of Serie A this season. Um, it's great at the top. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, Juventus are the best team and, and everybody knows about them. But Sampdoria are a pretty good team. Fun, but we, yeah. we often talk Atalanta. about... Atalanta. The whole, yeah, very good side. Yep. We talk about Serie A needing the, the two Milan clubs back, you know, really back to, to what they were. And, we talked and, about Piatek last week. Well, on, we on talked the show. about Piatek on, on our last um, podcast, didn't we? And mm. um, there's some exciting things going on there at Milan. Hopefully, they're AC Milan. I mean, hopefully, they're getting somewhere back to it. And who knows what, what's going to happen at Inter? Obviously, the rumours of Mourinho coming back in in, in the summer are, are still kind of there. But Serie A is better with, with two strong Milan teams competing with Juventus and Roma and hopefully for Sonia's case Udinese but I don't think that's coming <laughs> soon. To, to be fair I, I joke about Udinese not, not watching them but remember when in England you could only watch English football and then all of a sudden on Channel 4 on a Sunday afternoon they started doing James Richardson would host I the, loved it. I, Zeta Football Italia. I was a teenager, and I, I, was a teenager and I wrote to all 18 Italian Serie A teams. It was I got a, one response back. It was amazing. Sampdoria. Sampdoria. It was amazing. My team, Sampdoria. David Platt. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, That was the time when English football wasn't live on TV anymore. So yeah. they, as well, they were able to take advantage of the market. But um, no, I mean, Juventus obviously dominating the league, even though they got smashed by Atletico yeah. Madrid. In the Champions League, we have an associate producer who works with us, Joe Del Busso, who's an obsessive Juventus fan. He was obsessed about this tie and told us they were going to beat Atletico Madrid. And um, they got, well, they lost 2 0. It should have been 3. So Yeah, they were comfortably beaten, beaten on the yeah. night. I, I think. By an outstanding the, Atletico team. Yeah, but the lack of competition that they have in Serie A maybe cost them a little bit. They, they weren't up to a level. It's a horrible place to go uh, as a visiting player, but. Uh, but Ronaldo didn't mind because he just walked through the mix zone afterwards ugh. and said everybody's got five and you've got none so it's ridiculous wasn't it I thought you might like that I did not like that at all <laughs> um, uh, any other questions Shorty we got two left like, hey guys uh, just uh, with all that talk about Unanese and Serie A I grew up watching soccer here so a few games uh, from the EPL and a few games from Serie A has me thinking about you know watching Bologna versus Atalanta and Lazio versus you know Milan and interesting stadiums. So my question is, uh, I've changed it, Sean. Sorry. My, my question is, <laughs> is there a stadium that you think is uh, that, you, that you really like love to see a game there, or you have seen a game there, or even if you played there, the top stadium? Maybe not the like the Bernabeu, but something that's a hipster choice, sort of. Uh, <laughs> hipster. <laughs> Well, he's the hipster well, out of three if, of us, isn't he, Steve? If I had one more game, one more game, I'd play at St. James's Park, and, and that's probably an emotional choice, but it's a wonderful place to play. It really is. And we were all singing the song this week. Yeah. it's Local hero. Yeah, local hero, the, the, the tune that you walk out the tunnel to, and we were talking about, we were telling Joe about the Blading Races and the song that they've, they've sang for a number of years. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to, to play there uh, a few times and it was so loud sometimes Luke honestly I remember playing against Sunderland there and you're screaming at a guy seven eight yards away and unless he was sort of looking at your face and reading your lips he couldn't hear you it can just get brilliant inside that stadium and, and 
lately, we, we touched on that a bit earlier with Almiron, we're starting to see a long way away from the glory days, but the atmosphere, the sort of energy back inside that stadium and the Premier League will be better if, if there's a, a, a strong Newcastle there. So hopefully Mike Ashley packs his bags, he gets out and they get somebody in there that, that the fans deserve, get some real investment and in, get some talent to play alongside Miguel Almiron and uh, uh, you know and the quality players that they have and, and get Newcastle somewhere near the top. As a visiting radio guy, I used to love going to Villa Park because it usually meant the team I was covering was going to win. It's <laughs> so another good one, Villa Park, though. Hey. At least you got to watch your football in a proper ground. <laughs> Bramall Lane's a cricket ground. And you know it is. It was a cricket ground to start with. I don't think I've ever lost at Bramall Lane. No. But, and you beat them in the final. I heard you, by the way, talking about... Earlier on about Burnley playoff final, all of that garbage. <laughs> Were you here? It's got that one point? story half the time. It's, just, <laughs> it's a great and... story, though, isn't it, mate? He <laughs> lifted a cup at Wembley. It's a great story. Let's be honest. On the stadiums of the ones I've been lucky enough to go to, there's nothing can match calling a game at Anfield when they come out and everybody sings "You'll Never Walk Alone." Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Like a couple of years ago. We were there two years ago for Chelsea, Liverpool. No, yeah. In the world of football, nothing like that I've seen can, can match that. And they also did an incredible, if it was an early kickoff, for like Sky Sports moved it. Went there a few times when I was working with Leeds. Uh, and the breakfast buffet in the press room was just like <laughs> out exceptional. You do, you do, you do like, currently rank MLS teams by, by their buffets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we, we went to MLS Cup, you and I. Sorry to interrupt your story. The Peach Cobbler? We went to oh. MLS Cup in Atlanta, and the buffet was tremendous. And the first thought you had was, wait till I tell Stevie about the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> not, not this 70,000 Mercedes-Benz incredible stadium like it was the buffet. The buffet yeah, was yeah, tremendous. Yeah. Well, we, we, we go to Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium. And it's the worst oh, place the to call a game. Machine? It's the oh. worst place to call a game. We're on the, you know, it's a baseball diamond and you can barely see the far side and we're moaning about that. And then we've got, we have to go back and we're thinking about it and we're moaning to each other and then we go, have you got your remember meal the buffet? <laughs> <laughs> and then we get excited because it's just the best spread, isn't it? It's everything. Um, but you liked Arsenal's spread too, you told me once. There were a few yeah. good ones yeah, in the Premier League. Yeah. The, the, the other, talking about, I don't know if it's hipster, I'm not hipster, so I could, I don't know if it's a hipster choice, but. Two other stadiums I want to mention. One is I worked for three years covering Leeds United and Ellen Road, although it's not a modern stadium. Like when that's full, when those, some of those European nights there, like yeah. the fans are... I actually covered Leeds when Stevie got them relegated out of the <laughs> Premier League. And they've been out ever since, haven't they? Yeah, they have, unfortunately, but they're coming back this year at Sheffield United's expense. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other one, the other one is... Um, I, I grew up in a place called Dromfield, which is like, I don't know, 10 miles outside Sheffield. And the oldest football club in the world is Sheffield FC. And their stadium is like, was walking distance from my house. And they have a wall outside where all of the, you can, you can become a member of Sheffield FC and it's like Sepp Blatter, Svengo, and all these, all these, these names that are from the world of football who, have, who pay to be on the, on the wall of the, the oldest football club in the world. And they play non-league now. Um, but just to be able to go there and you just sense the history and you see all the pictures of where they came from in, I think it was 1857, I might be wrong. But I won't um, tell you, you won't believe me. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's just somewhere where 
it's I mean it's it's nothing now. It's just like it's great a, story. a few seats behind the goal that most of it's standing around the side of the pitch, but they've just got this one wall with these pictures with with all get on. <laughs> I'm just like it's fine. It's, it's no, I'm it's yours, KG. No, I'm I, done. I'm done. Um, I, <laughs> I'm not talking about Sheffield anymore. Um, I'm just trying to think away from England. Like we're fortunate to have done so many in England, and you played him so many, and I've covered so many in Luke as well. I mean, I'm obsessed with La Liga, so any stadium in La Liga is fine with me. Um, the Dortmund. I went to Dortmund in the 2006 World Cup and watched a World Cup game there in the famous end, but I've never been there for a Dortmund game, and I've got friends in there. They're like, you've got to come here to watch that. So that's a good shout. There's so many in South America, like River Plate, uh, Boca Juniors. Those places look some absolutely man magnificent. Um, I was in the Azteca for the uh, Champions League game against Toronto FC, which was incredible experience just because of somebody who cares so much about history and also within football history. Um, we came out the day before, and then and there's so many stories, we're running out of time, but we actually had to get a police escort. I was with the team, we had to get a police escort to the stadium when we were in Mexico. I was there for the Guadalajara final and obviously for the, the Club America semi-final. And when we get to Azteca, you walk down the, the, the entrance where you walk around this long tunnel and it takes forever. And there's a pit, there's a, there's the, they've got the posters up of every single team that's ever played there. So you're already feeling the history. Then you walk out to the tunnel and it's exactly the same it was in 1986. I was like a, 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 a fan. Like I was, I, I could remember that Maradona walked out from, and the England team would walk out in 1986 in the handball game, exactly what it was, up the ramp. And that's exactly the same way that TFC did. The TFC team walked that same way. So that's a, that was a marvelous experience as well to go to that stadium. But yeah, there's just, there's just so many. It's a great question. Thank you. We're done, folks. We're done. We're done. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to our football podcast. Thanks for Luke Wildman for joining us and sticking around for the. Uh, this must be the, the longest. End. This is like four podcasts in one. No, like <laughs> I, I know you guys. Can We're talk, going to hear that you know. outlook. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to do that. No one's going to make it to the end. <laughs> so it's fine. Well, you're like that. We said last week to you. Did you listen to our podcast? Yeah, I listened to the start. <laughs> Clay just said Clay. The, the Shout guy, out to Clay, by the way. And, he and said Dylan you only have Sean. to listen to sixty seconds because that then gets you the like the number on whatever it is, the ratings. You're not doing it for us. Hey? Don't <laughs> pretend you're doing it for us. You're doing it for for yourself to listen out to find out. But you do. There is a one talking about. There is a one mention every week, and then yeah. we just had another one, so we've ticked the box. Thanks to all our guests. It's been a great show. Thanks for everybody to come in, and and we really appreciate it. We hope you had a great time. Let us know. And um, you've been listening to our football podcast. Thanks to Sean. Thanks to Dylan. Thanks for Clay. They're the brains behind this operation. We just, we're just a couple of numpties up here with microphones. Yeah. Uh, they do everything else. So thanks to them as well. We will be back on uh, Saturday night uh, for a feast of games that we'll be looking through. And I mean a feast. And you've got, obviously, the, the North London Derby. Man United are playing. Manchester City are playing. Um, then you've got Toronto FC at 1 o'clock. La Liga, uh, El Clasico. Tron uh, but the Whitecaps at 6. We're going to break them all down for you on our 15th hour of the day on Saturday. So we'll join you then. And once again, thanks for listening and thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you.